fame is well deserved. I don't think there's ever been a gladiator to match you. You must be Hector reborn. Or is it Hercules? Why doesn't the hero reveal himself and tell us all your real name? You do have a name. My name is Gladiator. Show you back to me. Slay! You will remove your helmet and tell me your name. Who are you? I am the master of the middle finger. Chief ass whooper of sorry sons of bitches. Beer drinker. Among beer drinkers. Truster of no one. And I will stomp a mud hole in your ass and walk it dry. everyone welcome to wrestlemania salvation i am your host my name is sal and this is the show where we dive deep so deep into the wrestlemania archives this week wrestlemania goes hollywood as the wwe invades southern california now occasionally on this show i will have a special guest join me for the ride and tonight I present to you the host of Hurry Up and Cruiserweight, as well as co-host for the rundown, ladies and gentlemen, Elias. No, wait, no, sorry, wrong gimmick. Ladies and gentlemen, Jeff. I just got nervous there for a second. I didn't have a guitar to play. That would have been awkward. <laughs> What's up, Sal? Jeff, how are you tonight? Uh, I'm good, man. I'm good. How about you? I am spectacular. It's Tuesday night. I'm talking about wrestling. I love it. Me too. We talk about wrestling on Tuesday nights, Michael. (laughs) (laughs) Jeff, I am very excited to have you on the show. Uh, Let me ask you a question, because nobody's ever asked you this before, but they used to do it when a new host appeared on the rundown. When did you first start watching wrestling, and what was one of your earliest memories, and what got you hooked? I was a big, um, I was a big WCW guy growing up, so I watched. I'm sorry. I, it's okay. I mean, when you're <laughs> when you're kidding. five years old, I'm just kidding. You know, it's all the same. Now I, I started watching it in the mid '90s, um, and what really got me hooked actually was the Cruiserweights, which is funny because now I'm doing the show on it. But uh, my I was a big Rey Mysterio guy, um, and. Uh, I, I didn't really like anybody else. Uh, I did okay. like Dean Malenko, actually. That's 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 not true. I like Dean Malenko too. Um, Dean Malenko, I would say I didn't start watching WWE, however, like watching it on live TV, uh, probably until the early 2000s. I would say, which was a big, you know, 
Uh, I missed a good period there. Oh, so you mean right when WCW was bought out? Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> and then it was like, fuck, there's nothing else to watch. I guess I'll watch WWF now. Exactly. <laughs> now, did you ever go back and watch the stuff from WWF from, like, before, like, the 80s and 90s? Um, you mean, like, the early WWF stuff? Not, like, super early, but, like, Hogan or, like, Brett. Oh, yeah, yeah. I went back and watched most of it. Um, I, uh, I, uh, going back on it, I always liked kind of obscure, uh, wrestlers. So, I mean, like, the main stuff, like Shawn Michaels, and I actually liked Razor Ramon. Um, like, Shawn Michaels didn't appeal to me that much. It's not like I didn't like him. It's, and I'd, at the time, it was just kind of me picking people that I liked based on looks and mm-hmm. kind of their moves. Um, so I liked Razor Ramon. That was probably the most mainstream guy that I liked. Okay. All right. I was a big Razor fan. I was also a Michaels fan and a Diesel fan. So I guess I just like the click. <laughs> but um, it's funny you said you, you were a fan of the Cruiserweights. When you first said that you were a WCW guy, I thought you were going to say Sting. No, actually, I wasn't a huge Sting guy. Um, I, I, thought it, uh, I thought it was kind of stupid even then. I, I thought it was weird that he looked like the Crow. <laughs> oh, that's that's a good point. You didn't come in like with blonde surfer sting, like being the good guy. No, I did. The bad guys. I, I I did see a little bit of blonde surfer sting, um, and he just didn't like. He wasn't one of those guys when I was a kid that I was just like, yeah, I like your <laughs> rainbow face paint and your blonde hair. Like, fair. It was just wasn't something for me. <laughs> fair point. Probably explains why uh, the same reason why I wasn't a big Ultimate Warrior guy. I was more for Hogan. <laughs> but uh, yeah, sometimes the face paint can be a little bit like, why does this guy look like a clown? It's a little bit weird. Yeah, it was funny though. I had a I had a WrestleMania Sega Genesis game. I don't remember which one I had. I think it was Royal Rumble or something. And I always played as mm, uh, best one. I always played as uh, Razor Ramon or Doink the Clown, which is weird because I didn't seem to like anybody else with face paint. <laughs> Ah, uh, yes. Doink the Clown. <laughs> that's, uh, you know what, that's another story for another podcast. But, I know you're excited, Jeff, because it's time for the WrestleMania Rewind. I'm very excited. The 21st WrestleMania was on April 3rd, 2005, and for the first time was broadcast from the Staples Center in Los Angeles, California. The attendance for this event is listed at 20,193, and the tagline was, WrestleMania Goes Hollywood. This was the first and only time the event would be held at the Staples Center, as previous Southern California manias had been broadcast from the Los Angeles Memorial Arena in the Arrowhead Pond in Anaheim. So even though the, the WrestleMania would be at the Staples... I'm not saying... Not, I'm sorry. Even though the WWF would go to the Staples Center about nine times for SummerSlam. This was it for WrestleMania. Once and one time only. And they went all out. They did. They did go all out, including the fact that the entrance ramp was essentially a red carpet. Yeah, and all all those those crazy trailers leading up to it, too. I remember those. See, I'm glad you brought up the trailers. My next note here is that WrestleMania was heavily promoted this year by parody movie trailers, where the WWE produced produced them, and they had WWE superstars portray actors in famous Hollywood scenes. 
Now, Jeff, if you wouldn't mind indulging me for a moment. Of course. Of would course. you like to... <laughs> would you mind if I listed the movies that they parodied? Go for it, man. Actually, don't. I don't want you to. This is my show now. You can't do what you want. <laughs> it's a hostile takeover. You've watched too much Nitro already. <laughs> <laughs> so we start with Forrest Gump, of course, portrayed by Eugene. <sighs> that was that, That's the first thing that's on this list. Uh, Braveheart, featuring Triple H, because fucking of course he would make himself that guy from Braveheart. That was probably my favorite one. My the next one might be my favorite. Basic Instinct featuring Stacy Keebler playing the role of Sharon Stone. How could I forget? Unfortunately, Stacy Keebler was not pantyless during the shoot. Yes, yeah, fucking it's a shame. Then this was a weird one. Pulp Fiction featuring Eddie Guerrero and Booker T. Yeah. yeah that was really bizarre. <laughs> oh, wait, first of all, Eddie no, don't play John Travolta. That was just weird. Also, Booker T was, like, really into the character, but, like, for all the wrong reasons. Like, he just didn't come off like a Samuel L. Jackson. No, he didn't. He just came off as, he just came off as a bad Booker T. <laughs> uh, this is another favorite of mine. A Few Good Men featuring John Cena. And JBL. Oh, right. I've, that one I actually forgot about completely. You know what? That one wasn't that bad, and I'll give Cena credit. His acting was kind of decent in that one. First and only time for everything. Yeah. Uh, Dirty Harry featuring The Undertaker, playing the role of Clint Eastwood. Mm -hmm. uh, when Harry Met Sally featuring Kurt Angle and Christy Hemme. <laughs> that was corny. Yeah. Anything involving Christy Hemme usually is. And then... They literally had, and I'm not going to read them all, about 17 people uh, play Robert De Niro from Taxi Driver. Oh, God. And every single one of them was like, you talking to me? Are you talking to me? Yeah, that was not good. We open this WrestleMania with Lillian Garcia singing a fantastic version of America the Beautiful. Why this girl didn't have a contract to do this every year from here on out, I have no idea. Why would you get anybody but her at this point? She was an amazing singer. I mean, always. And this was a really, really, really nice rendition. Um, I wish she didn't have the backup singers. That was a little odd. Mm -hmm. but, I mean, if she sang this by herself, I mean, there's no need for the backup singers. But I guess it, it was the time, I suppose. I guess. But no, I hear you. I, you bring up a good point. She didn't need it. Absolutely didn't need it. And then I had the weird the compilation then, with the the troops in there too, right? Yes, that's correct. Um, and then we go to the opening video for WrestleMania, which I have played for you at the top of this podcast. You're welcome. And it is a brand new parody movie tra trailer featuring Stone Cold Steve Austin in the role of Gladiator. This was fantastic. This is so well done. What I thought was really good is the guy they got to play the Emperor was spot on, like, dead on uh, Joaquin Phoenix. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. This, everything about it was well done. And, uh, you know, Stone Cold doing his typical lines was just... It was... It was it was it couldn't have been more well done. And I'm glad they didn't release it before WrestleMania. Yes. 
Now, the thing that I thought was interesting was that um, I looked it up, and, yep, Austin was filming The Condemned at this point. Oh, yeah? I didn't realize which that. Which would be released... It would be released two years later in 2007. So, uh, Stone Cold trying to break into the acting world with a parody of Russell Crowe. Getting those acting chops in there. <laughs> hey, good on him. I actually enjoyed The Condemned. Maybe not too many people did. I thought it was a good movie. I actually never saw it. Check it out. It wasn't that bad. All right. We are welcomed to WrestleMania, of course, by good old JR and Jerry the King Lawler. They introduce us to their Spanish-speaking colleagues, Carlos Cabrera and Hugo Savinovich. And then I think they throw us to Michael Cole and Taz, but I can only assume that because I don't speak Spanish. (laughs) Yeah, that was really weird. And then we get uh, Michael Cole with his whole lights camera action. And as always, fuck you, Michael Cole. First of all, it's weird that in the announcer pecking order, it goes, you know, Ross and Lawler, and then the Spanish team, and then Cole and Taz. I think that's correct. That's probably the correct move. And then, like you said, Michael Cole goes and says something, and it's like, oh yeah, that that makes sense. You don't deserve even second billing. Get down to third billing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was. Uh, they were. They should have probably announced every other. Uh, did they have any other announcers at that point? Announced teams? Not yet. No. I was gonna say they should probably throw them above him too. Well, they'll be a much worse team in a couple years at WrestleMania because that's when they have three brands. Oh God, that's right. <laughs> Our opening contest this night. Match number one, Rey Mysterio versus Eddie Guerrero. Now, this is the first time in WrestleMania history that the reigning tag team champions would face off in a singles match against each other. Which was weird. I don't know why. There had to be some sort you know, of some sort of build to it. I I wasn't too uh too familiar with the their match or why they had this match going into it so from what i read the build happened later like all that stuff with eddie and ray and ray son dominic came after this match so the reason for this match was uh eddie kind of wasn't where he wanted to be after obviously being wwe champion last year at this time and um he wanted to know that he still had it as a singles competitor, so he wanted to fight his partner at WrestleMania. Okay. It's a little convoluted. Now, hey, you know, it's <laughs> so for the past couple episodes, I've been complaining that they have lost all idea of what to do with their tag team champions um, ever since the ending days of TLC. Because all they've done the past couple WrestleManias is they've done nonsensical fatal four-way matches for the tag team titles that last about seven minutes. I always hated that. In, in fact, last year they doubled down and they did they did the same thing for both brands on WrestleMania. Um, this year, apparently, they decided they they weren't going to waste anybody's time, and now there's no tag team titles being defended at WrestleMania. Can you imagine if they? Uh if they did 
if they did those fatal four-way tag team matches now, they would have to scramble to find somebody, and I guess they really wouldn't even bother building them up to be relevant. Because you know if there was a raw tag team one, you'd have the Ascension in there. You'd have some really garbage teams. <laughs> uh, not two years ago, or about, about two... Not even two years ago, WrestleMania 33, they had the fatal four-way ladder match between Enzo and Cass in the club and some other team I forget in the Hardys. Ah, uh, the bar. Oh, yes, it was the bar. That's right. I do recall that. You know who were the Raw Tag Team Champions on this night at WrestleMania 21? Who? Well, you wouldn't know because they, they didn't make it to the main card, but on the pre-show, William Regal and Tajiri competed in a 30-man battle royal. <laughs> oh, boy. Okay. A 30-man th- pre-show battle royal for absolutely all fuck nothing that Booker T won. I'm glad they were used. They were utilized well. You know what's weird? You, you mentioned that tag team titles weren't defended. I'm pretty sure that uh, this was the only WrestleMania that didn't even have a tag, any tag match at all. Yeah, it was. Uh, it was a it was a rare WrestleMania. There was only eight matches on the card, uh, which hasn't happened at WrestleMania in a while. But not only that, like you said, no tag team titles defended, no tag team matches. And no secondary titles defended, but that at least can be explained uh, for a cup for the United States and Intercontinental Champion because they were they were both on the show. But yeah, it was a strange WrestleMania, man. For that, for like the car, like the format that they used. Um, so for this match, I say this: the crowd is hot for Eddie. They 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 responded huge to him. Uh, slightly warm for Ray. Yeah, yeah, that's what I got. I mean, it was weird. It was a weird. Uh, I you know what I gotta say. Um, going back and watching WWE in the early two thousands, I did not. I, I hated the low rider. I hated that thing, man. <laughs> you know what made me not like it too much after a while was the fact that it just they kept using it and using it and you like it just got old quick well yeah it just was his like it was his entrance i mean like you'd come out and and do all the little hydraulics and the the wheels and stuff and it i i liked eddie i hated that low rider (laughs) i think they ran with it i think they loved it i mean i i after a while it did get kind of annoying to me but Originally, I liked it. It just... Yeah, I hear you. I'll tell you this. The um, the other thing that was disappointing here was that Rey Mysterio comes out, and I'm like, okay, it's WrestleMania. You know, what's Rey going to be wearing? Because he's been Daredevil. He's been The Flash. And then he comes out with an evil Knievel-inspired jumpsuit that's <laughs> half Mexican flag... And half American flag. Yeah, just in case you forgot they were both Spanish, you have him with the half <laughs> half Mexican flag, and then you have Eddie coming out in a low rider. <laughs> Latino heat! Oh, God. So, 
Um, okay, this match, it, it was good. The, one of the biggest problems this match had is that Eddie Guerrero was a face. That's the truth. If Eddie's a face, he should be facing Brock. He should be facing, uh, you know, Kurt Angle. He shouldn't be facing Ray. I would, I would argue that um, in this match, he quickly took over the heel spot in the match. Like, he did more. Like, he became the power guy. And he was he was kind of being very yeah. aggressive, um, but yeah, it was weird uh, seeing two faces like this kind of go at each other. And you know, to Eddie's credit, I'm never gonna say that an Eddie Graham match was a bad match, but this match was not one of my favorites from these two. You know, when you think back to Halloween Havoc when he fought Ray, and I think it was '97 at WCW, and what what a classic match this was that was this started off kind of clunky would you agree yeah definitely um this was not not their best work together for sure did you also notice there was a bunch of like white spots on eddie's back i did um what is that i was assuming it was some type of after effect from steroids probably probably because he was juicing like crazy when he won the title i mean he looked it right uh yeah just you know not their best work as far as what these two are capable of. Eddie, you know, does attempt the frog splash, but doesn't even manage to hit that. And then he attempts a tilt-a-whirl, and Ray counters into a West Coast pop for the win. And after the match, Guerrero shakes his hand, which is probably the most disappointing finish that can happen in any career match. Yeah, it's weird when you have a WrestleMania match and you're kind of building to a feud in the future. Um, but I, the one, the couple things I will say about this match that I really enjoyed or didn't enjoy so much was going to your point that this was not their best work together. Is Eddie struggled putting on a butterfly stretch mm-hmm. on Rey Mysterio, who's like tiny and easy to get up and easy to like. And these two have worked together for years. And he really struggled getting that up. Wow. That didn't sound right. <laughs> <laughs> but um, he had the the uh, the tilt-a-whirl backbreaker, which was really nice. I mean, he spun Rey Mysterio around so fast. Mm-hmm. And uh, and I think the, the highlight of this match was Eddie's facials when he started getting very frustrated. Yes. I think the frustrated heel Eddie Guerrero is is very is one of my favorite Eddie Guerreros. See that that's where I think their um, their layout of this feud was was backwards. They should have did something like this, you know, even as recently as the Royal Rumble, and then you turn Eddie, you make him pissed off that he lost to Ray. You build this whole thing. If you really want to bring in Ray Sun Dominic, go for it. But then you have the culmination at WrestleMania. You don't kind of start the feud off at WrestleMania. That doesn't. Why? You know what I mean? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. It's it. Like I said, it, it is weird that you're, you're building a WrestleMania match for the future feud. It reminds me that they did with Styles and in, in, in Nakamura, where that was Chapter One, and it shouldn't have been Chapter One. It should have been like. You know, the most heated rivalry culminates at WrestleMania, and instead, 
you know, Nakamura punches him in the dick, and we just get we're just getting started. Yeah, or or at least at least with this, um, like you had with Jericho and AJ, like have it be the like have Eddie beat the shit out of him at the end of the match. Yes, yes, that would have made it if if Ray beats him, and then he's like, "Hey, Eddie, we're still friends, right?" And then Eddie just snaps. That absolutely would have been a huge moment. Oh yeah. Absolutely. But nonetheless, I would say this match was pass. It was good. It was good. I almost said passable, but no, it was. It was. It was okay. It was above average. I, I think. I think we're looking at it in such a uh, under the microscope because of their past work. True. True. We're comparing it too much to other matches they've had. Uh, backstage, JBL is hanging out with his chief of staff. United States champion Orlando Jordan. Uh, and and they run into Triple H and Ric Flair. And this is the classic or what has become the classic spot where one champion from one brand runs into one champion from the other. Uh that would never happen today cuz Brock's never on the show. <laughs> <laughs> but God, I gotta say, I first of all, I think Triple H owned him. Oh yeah, <laughs> he fucking just ethered him this whole time in this promo. Uh, but also, I have been venting about this for the past couple episodes of Salvation. I don't understand how last year JBL was in a tag team with Farouk, and now all of a sudden he's a wrestling god who claims he's never been defeated. Yeah. Um, by the way, you forgot the Basham brothers were there too. That's because they're forgettable. Oh right, <laughs> that makes sense. Uh, no, I yeah, literally no. didn't even remember them being there because as soon as Triple H showed up, they like faded into the background. Oh yeah, yeah they did. I mean, as they did with their career. <laughs> um, but uh, I I was one of the I think few who who. Uh, I, I personally kind of liked heel JBL, uh, probably an uh, un, uh, an unpopular opinion, but uh, I thought he was uh, very ruthless and very violent during his reign, which I thought was kind of rare during this time. I guess I don't know. I, I although I will say I don't know how he uh, rose as quick as he did. Um, and when him and Triple H kind of faced off after Triple H destroyed him, he just kind of looked like an oversized nerd. That's what I mean. He didn't. He didn't really fit that bill of intimidating. You know. He did not look like he he belonged in that category really with Triple so you H. You could see why, like how brutal and why he would win. Well, JBL himself has always been like that. Whether he was with the APA or whether he was in the fucking brawl for all. Um, he, he's he's always been hard hitting. I I guess I just never understood the push and why it got there. Like he won the title from Eddie like maybe three or four months after WrestleMania last year. That to me was atrocious because I'm like, how did you go from tag team wrestler to dominant WWE champion? Right, right. No, I totally agree. His rise as quick as it was, like I wouldn't have minded him. Maybe be maybe like fighting for the title here like a year build up or something right, like that right, right. But, but him to get that title so fast is a bit silly and 
I, I mean, I don't know. I don't know. JBL is an anomaly in, in this sense. I didn't like the character, but I think that was kind of the point, right? No, yeah, and, and you know what? I'll, I'll say that is is you were supposed to hate the character, and you did. And to JBL's credit, he's never had promo work previous to this character like he had during this run. Oh yeah, and his promos were actually pretty pretty decent. I mean, his he could really cut a nasty promo on people. Um, not that he was top notch or anything, but no. But he, he stayed in his lane. He, you know. Oh yeah, yeah. He didn't. He didn't try to go above and beyond where he was at. And like I said, I would to this day. I will just because I'm a friggin' sadist. I will go back and watch that Eddie Guerrero. <laughs> oh JBL God, I know which where, one you're talking about. Not the one where he won the. No, maybe it was the one where he won the title. But it doesn't matter. It was the one that Eddie cut too deep, and he oh, was yeah. fucking bleeding all over the place. I'll still say to this day, JBL hit him with that chair so fucking hard. I think he was already cut, mm. and he cut himself even further, not realizing he was cut. That's a, that's how hard he hit him. Speaking of people who had really deep cuts and multiple stitches, our next match is the first ever Money in the Bank. Yeah, I was really looking forward to this match. Uh, this is... 100% one of the most remembered Money in the Bank matches and one of my personal favorites. Um, I, I, there's a lot to be said of maybe because it was the first one. But I don't care. I fucking love this match. Oh, yeah. We have Chris Jericho versus Chris Benoit versus Christian versus Shelton Benjamin, the Intercontinental Champion, versus Edge versus Kane. Right, yeah. I I, I do want to make a, a note there. Um, Christian was accompanied to the ring by Tomko, and uh, fuck Tomko. I always hated him. <laughs> so here's the thing about Tomko. I 100% forgot about him until he walked out there with Christian. I was mm-hmm. like, oh, yeah, that guy. <laughs> yeah, I, I, to- the funny, I, I totally forgot about him, too. And then as soon as he walked out, I was like, oh, yeah, that fuck. I fucking hated him. I remember how much, like, all this hatred came back. That How much I, like, hated his stupid beard and how generically dumb-looking he was with all those tribal tattoos on. I hated him. He was even in TNA for a while, I think, with Christian. He was. He was. God almighty. Yeah, but thankfully, he didn't stick around the WWE that long. I don't or even, even think... TNA, really. No, and I don't think he's, uh, I don't think he's, I think this is his first and only appearance on the WrestleMania Salvation podcast. Uh, let's hope. Uh, that's true. Um, I gotta say that, first of all, just as a little bit of a backstory, unfortunately, this is Chris Jericho on his way out of the WWE. Um, by June or July, he's gone because he's trying to focus on his band and his career. But I will say that um, he has always been credited, and rightfully so, as the creator of the Money in the Bank concept. Um, The way Jericho tells it on his show is that he pitched the idea to Vince that the winner would get a contract for a title shot the next night on Raw. And Vince kind of tweaked it and was like, well, not the next night, Let's, let's draw it out. Let's say you can get a title shot whenever you want within a year from when you from the match and then 
he was like, yeah, you know, let's do that. You know, have a contract. And I guess Vince's only caveat was like, it has to be in a briefcase. Oh, of course it was. Of course that was his contribution. Of course, um, because... <laughs> fucking the worst. I, you you could have at least kept it with the customized briefcases. Like, I mean, obviously in this you're not going to have that. But I mean, right. when they had to customize you could have at least kept with that. Because that was like, that was at least fun. Oh, I love that. Um... Yeah, they don't really do that anymore. They just have the brand logo on them now. Yeah, fun. That's real fun. Actually, no. They don't even have the brand logo because they combined it, so now it's just a fucking green case. Yeah, I think it says Money in the Bank on it with the W. Green. Not even gold anymore. Green. I just love the fact that they have to carry it with them wherever they go. Yeah, that is pretty funny. Um, So this match was full of a lot of fucking cool spots. And just to start off, the very first thing that I thought was wicked cool was when Kane made his entrance and set the stage ladders on fire. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, that was awesome. That was a great visual. Um, Surprisingly, as I'm looking through my notes, a lot of Kane moments here. Uh, Kane almost breaking Benoit's arm by slamming it repeatedly with the ladder. Yeah, Benoit's selling was was really good slash possibly over the top. You seriously questioned at times if there was some if like did he pop his shoulder out or something? Because he sold it like on point. Like everything he did, he he didn't even use the other arm to climb the ladder. Every time he he did, he used one arm and like would hold the other arm like by his side. Yeah, the only reason I say over the top, because don't get me wrong, his selling is out of this world, but sometimes I say over the top because he had two cells. The one was if he, like, if something like, say, the arm spot, if the crowd was screaming at the top of their lungs, you would still hear Benoit yelling over them. (laughs) That's a good point. And the other one was whenever he hit his head, he would do that thing where he would, like, he would, like, kind of go in the fetal position and, like, grab his head and, like, start twitching up and like side to side and it was like oh okay i guess i guess he's uh having a seizure speaking of which another spot i had from this match was benoit hitting the diving headbutt from the top of the ladder onto kane and probably ripping open every stitch he had in his forehead yeah that was uh brain damaging concussion number 524 Yes, and I think I heard the crowd chant CTE, CTE. <laughs> oh man, this can you believe that that definitely led to his play date with Daniel and Nancy? Bad, bad, Jeff. <laughs> no, I'll, I'll go to a I'll go to a slightly uh, a, a thing from the the entrances that really made me laugh. Okay. Um, when Shelton Benjamin came out. Uh, you know, Jim Ross kind of took over the commentary when he came out, and he called him the youngster with a lot of potential. And Shelton Benjamin's goal is to win this match. No <laughs> shit, Jim Ross. <laughs> no shit. Uh, it, it's funny, too, because you bring up a good point. The very first thing Jim Ross says when Shelton Benjamin's music hit is, Potential! That boy's got Potential! God, he loved the young kids. That didn't sound right either. God damn it. <laughs> you are three for three tonight, my friend. I know. I know. Um, speaking of Shelton, Shelton was, at this point in his career, uh, athletically superior 
to a lot of his uh, colleagues in the ring. Um, I still am desperately trying to figure out how he had enough balance and speed to run up one ladder diagonally and clothesline Jericho off the other. Oh yeah, that was uh, that was unreal. I mean, that's just a, a highlight that gets replayed on any highlight reel. Um, and it, it, just watching it again, you're still amazed by it. Yes, absolutely. Um, and he also hit a T-bone suplex from the top of the ladder to Edge. Oh yeah, that was fucking brutal. I was just gonna say that was brutal. That I was like, Edge is dead. Edge is fucking dead. He killed him. <laughs> And not uh, to mention, Jr. loved yelling T-Bone. Oh, my God. I, I remember that even back in the day. T-Bone! T-Bone! <laughs> the best part is, is like, I don't even, it, it didn't even have to really be a T-Bone suplex. Sean Benjamin no. could do a fucking German and Jr. would be like, T-Bone! T-Bone! Yeah. <laughs> yeah, he loved saying that. Um... Kane at one point fucks up a choke slam on Benjamin and he lands like weird, almost like gets crushed in the ropes by accident. Mm, yeah. And then they try to say that that Kane was going to choke slam to the outside. I'm kind of glad he didn't. Yeah, that would have that wouldn't have been good. Cuz all I could picture is like Benjamin hitting the back of his head like on the floor. Like <laughs> Yeah, speaking of Kane uh um he when he tried to clothesline Tomko over the top rope Fuck Tomko because he prematurely tried to go over the top rope, and Kane just had to had to manhandle him over the top rope. He, yes, he did, and and then Kane just kind of shoved him out. It was like idiot. Yeah, talk about having you have one spot in the entire match, and you fuck it up. <laughs> I guess it wouldn't be the first time. It um, certainly wouldn't be the last time. But it's just more reason for me to hate Tomko. Fair. Uh. You know what? One of the things too I loved about this match is the pace was so fucking. It wasn't. It was fast, but it wasn't frantic. I would say in the beginning it was frantic, and then they slowed it down nicely. Yes, um, I liked that when they slowed it down. They did a spot. They gave you time to react to it, and then they went to the next spot. You're right. In the beginning, when everybody was doing a dive over the top mm-hmm. rope, to the point where Kane was just like, "Well, I want to jump too." <laughs> There's probably no need for that. Probably no need for Kane diving from the top rope to the outside. Yeah, I do have to say, every time, um, I mean, every time I see Benoit doing any sort of head-related thing, I always cringe. And wasn't that there was one point? Yeah. Wasn't he went at the top of the ladder and he just started headbutting somebody repeatedly? Yes, <laughs> and every time he did it, I felt like we were getting one step closer to that now. On my notes, I was actually counting the concussion number. <laughs> it's like nine, ten, eleven. Okay, now he's gonna kill. Now he's gonna commit murder a year earlier and a year <laughs> earlier. <laughs> I almost wish he did because he would still be alive. Yeah. Tears. Well, tears. Um, what? So, what were some of your favorite parts of this match? Oh man, there was tons. Um, I mean, this really did. Uh, I I don't. I think I watched this match um, a long time ago, um, mm. and I didn't watch it live. I did see this whole pay per view in its entirety later on, but I never. I didn't watch this like whole match in its entirety. 
Um, and going back to it, being really excited for it, it, it did not uh, disappoint at all. Um, everybody got their finishers in there. Um, there was at one point where Benoit had the crippler crossface and the guy got to the ropes and the ref broke it up, which I didn't really get. But um, uh, I mean, the Benjamin spot running up the ladder was fantastic. The be- mm-hmm. any Benoit, anytime I see Benoit chops, it makes me happy because Benoit's true. chops are just unbelievable. I mean, he knew you could see he knew how to not hurt someone unless he wanted to, but they sounded like a million bucks. So recently, uh, the wrestling world lost the Dynamite Kid mm-hmm. at the age of 60 years old after a long health struggle. Um, I'm not going to lie. It sounded like he said six years old. <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> 60. Um, and I always thought that Benoit was the Dynamite Kid for the next generation. He was super intense every time he stepped into the ring. Every like you said, we throw a chop, or the kicks, or the suplexes. He's he was just a hundred miles an hour. Uh, his work was always fantastic, and this match was no different. This match is not anywhere near as good without Benoit, because even Jericho at this point kind of mentally checked out, and you can tell. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I mean, he's still good, but you could you can see where there's a bit of a a step down from his usual work. Benoit here, I mean, just the fact of his selling made this match, I think. I mean, he was he was getting thrown off of shit. He was taking huge bumps and he was selling like a million bucks and uh I don't think Kane did a whole lot to help this match too much. He was just kind of like the token big guy. Um I think it was really edge uh Shelton, Benjamin, and and him, and Chris Benoit, who are the real stars of this. That's true. Um, Definitely Benoit and Shelton Benjamin, and Edge was where he needed to be at the right times. I thought it was a super heat-making moment for Edge, because the crowd is just as much behind Benoit as they were last year. Oh, yeah. And and he's dealing with the whole thing with his arm. He's selling it like a champ. He's, he's struggling to get up the ladder, and out of nowhere, Edge just cracks him with the chair, and and he literally makes himself that ultimate opportunist gimmick in one night, and goes up and steals the briefcase. And and Benoit falling off the ladder and just doing that that screaming <laughs> just through the end of the match and, and Edge holding up the title showing Benoit screaming continuously. Oh, well, when he hit him with the chair and Benoit yelled, yelled out, I, you felt it. Oh, you yeah. You know what I mean? You were just like, oh, my God, no! Like, yep. And then Edge scurrying away, holding the briefcase on, like, you know, uh, running up the ramp for dear life. It was... Uh, a very quick glimpse of what heel edge would become in the next couple of years from here. Exactly. Yep. Yeah, it was it was fantastic. It was great heat on him and him or Benoit would have been the right call. Just it depends on if you wanted a, a heel or a babyface to win and and the heel for the money in the bank was the right call. It was the right call. It got super heat and it, I thought it made Edge a star. Absolutely. Um, and then, and this is one of the reasons that we only got eight matches on this card, <laughs> we had segments that lasted 
for like 20 something minutes ham handed segments yeah and eugene makes his way out to the ring i and i, I got i gotta say I, I i have to admit something that i'm incredibly ashamed of okay this when is the I, forum to do it i'm when i was young i liked eugene and i actually had a shirt of him oh man get off my podcast no i'm just yeah. kidding <laughs> I am so ashamed of my younger self. Uh, it. I mean, I can see it. Like, especially if you were a kid. Like, I didn't even make fun of retarded kids. Like, <laughs> I, I just liked him. <laughs> uh, see, it's funny though, because when he came out, I had no, no idea why he was here. And I, I watched this live. I watched this a couple times since, you know, it was live. And I was like, Eugene, he's not fight. Oh, I know why he's here. <laughs> yeah. It, like, instantly clicked after, after like, a minute. I was like, oh, God. Um, <laughs> Eugene starts his promo with, midgets are awesome! Oh, God. It, it makes me wonder, and I've often wondered, was Nick Dinsmore given this character just to make Vince laugh? Or did he piss someone off in the back? I I um I listen to a lot of Jim Jim Cornette podcast. Um, oh well, I, I he only reason I say that is because he he ran OVW for the longest time. True. And Nick Dinsmore was his champion. Oh. And um, there was very few. I mean. I would say there's a low success rate of OVW stars that became stars, uh, you know, a la Batista or Randy Orton. Right. Um, and then you get Nick Dinsmore, who was like the babyface heavyweight champion for OVW, and he comes up and he becomes this. So what you're saying is, and you heard it here first, that Vince was NXT guys before NXT was NXT. Yeah. Yeah, he was. <laughs> <laughs> there was a guy in OVW back in 06, 07 named, uh, I think it was Brent Albright. Albright? Okay. And he was putting on, like, five-star matches with Punk. And uh. they used him, like, twice on Velocity and then released him. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Great. <clears throat> There was well, um. There's a notorious one, um, Johnny Jeter. You remember him? He was. There. I heard the name. I yeah, heard he, that name. He was a big OVW guy, huge, young, super talented guy, according to Jim Cornette. I I never watched OVW, but um, huge, talented guy. And he goes up and he's part of the Spirit Squad. Yes, yes, that's right. That's why I heard the name before, because they threw him in the Spirit Squad. Uh, I mean. Like, okay, so you do have Batista, you do have the prototype, who obviously became John Cena, Orton, Shelton, Brock, but yeah, for the most part, there was a lot of talented people in OVW. Fuck, I think Kenny Omega was in OVW at one point. He was, yep. I don't know if it was OVW or FCW, but he was no, in it developmental. Was FCW. Right. It okay. Was FCW. Doesn't matter. He was in a developmental territory for the WWE and got released, and look where he's doing now. Yep. Now, <laughs> you so Eugene is, by the way, Eric Bischoff's nephew. 
Which, which I thought was a nice touch, too. Like, we'll saddle Eric with the fucking, you know, Eugene character. And then... It's okay, if, you can say retard. It's fine. Well, we'll get there. And then... <laughs> steal it. Upcutting me right away, aren't you, Jim? <laughs> uh, Muhammad Hassan comes out, which, speaking of offensive characters, Muhammad Hassan... Oh, good, we got a retarded gimmick, and an even better gimmick, a terrorist. <laughs> a terrorist... Probably what? What are we? Four years, three and a half years removed from nine eleven. Uh, yeah. And he's a stereotypical terrorist. I'm talking like South Park levels of Bin Laden stereotypical. You know what the worst part was? Is I actually liked Muhammad Hassan as an idea. If you didn't go the terrorist route, just make him like an Iron Sheik type character. Like, don't make him a terrorist. See, here's the problem. So you try to get that ultra heat by making him a terrorist, right? And he does things as part of his character that isn't heat garnering. It's like, no, you can't, you're not supposed to put that on TV. (laughs) And then, (laughs) I mean, like, the the chanting was great. That would get boos across the entire arena. The chanting, and then, Mm -hmm. and then you get, you know, the terrorist part, and it's like, okay, all right. Relax, there, guy. It's a little over the top. It's not. It's it's not bad enough. You have an Italian guy playing a friggin' Arab. Yeah, well, he comes out with Davari, not Aria Davari, Sean Davari, and you know he's stereotypically praying. Um, he he starts verbally attacking Eugene, who has no fucking idea what the hell's going on. <laughs> And then they beat down the retard. Sorry, they beat down the ugly retard. (laughs) And and this is one of the things that I can't believe they incorporated into his character. He gets him in the camel clutch position, and then he does the throat cut motion. I know. When they were literally beheading people in the Middle East. Oh, God. What are you doing? And you wonder why this character got thrown off TV. Yeah. Well, yeah, they, 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 I seem like with this character, it's like, how far can we go? <laughs> Until we get thrown off TV. Yeah. And then apparently it was uh, bringing actual hooded terrorists on TV and, you know, yeah, smart. Um, speaking of smart, uh, King at one point says, when Muhammad Hassan comes out, the smart thing for Eugene to do would be to leave. Uh, of course, Eugene hasn't done a smart thing ever. Yep. We get it, King. He's retarded. You don't have to <laughs> hammer the point home. Speaking of retarded, who comes out to make the save? Oh, I thought you meant racists. <laughs> Speaking of racism, who comes out to make the save? <laughs> The one, the only, the, as Sylvester Stallone would call him later on in this episode, the incredible Hulk Hogan! So, Hogan beats up the evil foreigners. There's two things I notice right away. First of all, every single person in the crowd is going fucking apeshit crazy like they're six years old again. Like it's the 80s. Even even Adam Sandler and Rob Schneider. They're, yeah. they're eating it right up. Yep. And I noticed that during the beatdown, Hogan does not do the leg drop. 
Mm, that's you right. Know, you know why he doesn't do the leg drop? Because uh, he can't. His uh, back is too fucked up at this point. I was going to say anal sex, but, you know. <laughs> um, he, I think, would do it only a couple more times in his career. Now he can't do it at all. Literally, he, his, his back will just, like, disintegrate if he tries to do a leg drop. But from what I remember reading, and even when he went to TNA, uh, his back was fucked. He could no longer do leg drops because he had done so many that he needed, like, six back surgeries a la Shawn Michaels in 1998. Okay. That makes sense. It's like Stone Cold doing the uh, fucking stunner over and over. Yeah. It, it just it starts to wear on your body. <laughs> it, it doesn't even matter that he doesn't do the leg drop. The crowd still goes nuts. What I think is funny is that they have absolutely um, been successful... Every single time, whether it was the 80s, the 90s, or the 2000s, when they bring Hulk Hogan back, or bring him out, or wheel him out, whatever they have to do, right? I feel like that ship has sailed. Oh, <laughs> that yeah. you That, you know what? It doesn't even matter what happened in, in at Crown Jewel. I don't think there's a scenario where you can bring Hulk Hogan out and he would get a huge pop like this. No, um... But I just I hate the the ham handedness of this entire segment. <laughs> um, it was just like let's get the terrorist to come out so we can get the you know American hero Hulk Hogan to come out so um, we can finally start the the burial of Muhammad Hassan. They probably started it before this, but let's be honest. My, uh, this was the burial of Muhammad Hassan by the guy who has buried more talent than AIDS in the 80s. <laughs> That's a fair point, but he, you know what? They're going to double down because not only is Hogan going to beat up the foreigners, not only is he going to get the upper hand on a two-on-one situation, he's going to pose for an extremely long time. They're going to show his blonde family in the crowd... Yeah, you including, including, normal... go ahead, including his mistress slash daughter Brooke, <laughs> and and for some fucking reason, like his last name was Hogan, Deathmatch Specialist David Arquette is with the family. Uh, of course he is. Why wouldn't he be? <laughs> and then they're going to literally drop the American flag on the Titantron so he can pose one more time. It was literally. I would say five to ten minutes of poses. Um, did you notice when he was beating Muhammad Hassan up, he actually chopped him? He did. Hogan had a chop. I'd never he, seen Hogan do a chop did. ever. Because sometimes throwing an overhand punch is too strenuous. Oh, <laughs> uh, I was going to say, I thought he was showing diversity in his offense. No, fuck that. He was like, ugh, I'm fucking too old for this shit. <laughs> uh... It's, yeah, a lot of ham-handedness. A lot of look at Hogan and his family, and guess what? They're on VH1, and Hogan knows best. <laughs> <laughs> uh, probably unnecessary. It almost felt like a time filler. Like, you had 30. 30 guys, including Booker T, on the pre-show in a throwaway battle royal. But you'd rather do 20 minutes of retard humor terrorist hating and Hogan bullshit 
Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, you could have easily, if you wanted Hogan on the show so badly, and to have him, just just have him come out, talk a little bit, and then have Muhammad Hassan come out, and then have him beat up. Why is Eugene there? And and why? Because uh, Hogan's got to make the save, man. Oh, God. Which is funny, because if Eugene was ever in, like, a really desperate situation where he's getting the shit kicked out of him, what you want is the 55-year-old guy with a bad back slowly meandering his way down to the ring to help you, right? God, like, <laughs> I guess, I guess you, you, I mean, even though it's silly, you, you want Hogan to make the save for, you know, for obvious reasons of, of the big surprise of him coming out. But you, you don't, it's just basically Eugene was out there to make a midget joke. And to make fun of how stupid he was. That's all he was there for. Hey, you know who the winner of this segment was? America. (laughs) Yes, America always wins. (laughs) And speaking of always winning at WrestleMania, ah, segues. Our next match, The Undertaker versus... Randy Orton. I have a fun little tidbit about this. Um, speaking of The Undertaker, do All you know right. what the original match with him involved in was supposed to be? For this night? Yeah, it wasn't originally this. Hmm. I feel like I've heard it, but I don't remember it. It was supposed to be, and thankfully this was the actual match. Um, originally it was supposed to be The Undertaker and Kane in a tag team match against Heidenreich and Schnitzky. <laughs> oh, fuck, you're right. <laughs> I did hear that. Oh, God, uh, what I wouldn't give to see that God. match. Oh, uh, that would have been so fucking awful. And then we, we could have made rape jokes. <laughs> it would have been great. Rape oh, jokes, we- abortion jokes. Could have had it all. Oh, my God, I didn't even think of that. You yeah. put the both of them together, you're a walking PR nightmare. Yeah, you have Heidenreich raping Michael Cole and Schnitzky fucking killing him and uh, Lita's baby or whatever the fuck it is. It wasn't my fault. Oh my god, he was he was so fucking ugly. I couldn't get over how ugly he was. And useless. Yeah. Did you ever see him now? He's fucking ripped. No, I don't care to. Just because he was so useless back then. <laughs> Fair enough. Fair enough. From what I've heard, uh, he was Lars Sullivan before Lars Sullivan became Snitsky. <laughs> so. Last thing I knew, Lars, Lars Sullivan didn't kill any babies. Well, I'll give it a couple weeks. That's true. He give is the freak weeks. accident. He's the freak. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, God, why can I see them doing a story with one of the raw women? Insert oh your own God. joke here. I got it. You bring, you bring Snitsky back, and Lars Sullivan is actually that unborn child. Oh, really no. Alive. Oh, no. That's why his name is the freak accident. Ew, gross. <laughs> Can't be any worse than giving birth to a hand, all right? Yeah, that's a good point. <laughs> this is the first time... Because I've been I've been doing this for twenty episodes now. Even though they've slightly brought it up before, this is the first time that the streak is a storyline. Right. 
And a legit one, too, because you have a very... Th this one wasn't, well, we need somebody to fight The Undertaker because of the streak. This was actually a natural progression. Here's the legend killer. He's defeated Mick Foley. He's defeated The Rock. He's defeated all these people. You know, he he's beat up legends like Sergeant Slaughter and Ric Flair. And, and he's going after the biggest legend of all, The Undertaker. Oh, it just so happens that The Undertaker doesn't lose at WrestleMania, so... Who does Orton think he is? Well, this is this is where you know this is all going to come to a head tonight, which I thought was a fucking great storyline. Yeah, it was fantastic. The the thing that <laughs> I know a better one though, Heidenreich and Snitsky. <laughs> oh yeah, that's true. Um, the the thing that was interesting is it was the right guy but the wrong year. And the reason I say the wrong year is if you put Randy Orton as the up-and-comer to beat the streak in 2008 or 2009, perfect. But because he's so young at this point, you can't have the first guy end the streak because then you're leaving all that money on the table for people who buy WrestleMania just to see if the streak keeps going. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I, I don't think it was the wrong matchup because he was the legend killer at this point. I thought it was wrong to start the storyline of him being undefeated. True, true, true. Cause, because young, you know, young heel, I think legend killer Randy Orton might be my favorite. Oh, no, Re legend killer Randy Orton was great. Um, you know, this might be an unpopular opinion. I think he actually progressed the way he he was supposed to as the years went on like when he went to you know sadistic uh, wife kissing Randy Orton when he beat up Stephanie to mm -hmm. like where he is now where he like puts his fingers in guys holes and shit uh, I, love that new, I like the new Randy Orton it's too bad that he's doing nothing right now well you know he's beating up Rey Mysterio and ripping his mask off uh, Getting, yeah yeah but, but no, I did like the le legend killer Randy Orton. I thought it was a great storyline. And to show just what a miserable <clears throat> cunt Randy was, <laughs> they had him fucking RKO his quote-unquote girlfriend, Stacey Keebler. Remember when that was a thing? Yeah. <laughs> um, no, Randy was fucking vicious at this point. I love the segment in the, in the build-up video. Of uh, Cowboy Bob Orton begging Undertaker for mercy and Taker just being like, no. Oh, yeah, that was great. And then, uh, you know, Rand Randy was fucking relentless, but I thought this was interesting. We start with the Druids, which is weird because how many times in a match involving the undertaker does he come out first usually never right oh yeah the druids come out however i do notice that was a theme in this wrestlemania going forward oh yeah no, that's true um the druids come out and they surround the ring holding up their flaming torches like a bad scene out of american horror story <laughs> okay. and then speaking of bad scenes god this fucking almost drove me to drink um the undertaker comes out and and 
he's surrounded by the mist and the dry ice and the smoke. And he's on some type of gimmick that makes him, like, float down to the ring. Like, he's not walking. He's just, like, kind of rolling, like, on a slow... (laughs) And fucking Taz. And I know that they told him to sell it like this, but I hate that they told him to sell it like this. Taz is acting like he cannot, for the life of him, figure out what's going on. Yeah, I wrote that down, too. Um, Michael, cool, he's walking, but he's not moving. I don't get it. It's like he's floating to the ring. I was just like, oh, God, Taz. All right. All right. You know what would have been great? You know what would have been fucking great? If when Orton comes out, he just lays on the gimmick and just, like, glides down to the ring yeah, with, like, like his hand on, on like his a, head. A Roomba. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> that would have been fucking great because, I'm sorry, of all the Undertaker entrances, having him glide down to the ring and make it... And make, try to make you believe he's floating was fucking awful. Yeah, it didn't fit either because the rest of this the rest of his entrance was fantastic. I mean, it it felt like there was like there was a sacrifice about to be made. Oh, the thunder, like, the was, lightning, the torches, I loved it all except yeah. for the floating. Yeah, the the floating was horrible. Uh however, it does beat his slow walk down to the ring. It's too bad they didn't utilize that in <laughs> WrestleMania is in the, you know, about a year or two ago. Um <laughs> Well, that's why he started not... Well, actually, last year he came out through the entrance, which was painful, literally, both to watch and probably for for Taker. But um, that's why at 33, when he fought Roman, he didn't go up the ramp. He just came up through the middle of the stage. I know. They, they probably literally made that for him. They're just like, hey, let's just put one in the middle there towards the beginning. So Yeah, put it closer to the ring. Yeah, there you go. Now he only has to walk like two feet. That way, it's it's like fifteen minutes, not thirty. And um, I, the only thing I will say, Taz was selling it like annoyingly selling it, but then Cole goes, "It's psychological warfare." <laughs> like, shut the fuck! They did a horrible job of keeping the atmosphere going. Yep. You know what they needed to do during this? Layout. Talk. Yeah, layout. That's yeah. it. Just. Let the moment talk. Don't don't speak over it. That's just ugh. Save your talking from when Orton comes out. Exactly. Uh, so I, I'll say this: I definitely appreciated them starting the match by Orton slapping the taste out of the dead man's mouth. It's kind of, it kind of fits his brash, you know, character at that point. Oh yeah. Um, was it me or did the Undertaker look jacked to shit to you? Oh yeah, he looked great here. I mean, this is, I mean, not in his prime, but this is still, this is still built Undertaker. I mean, I just saw this dude, you know, from last year's WrestleMania. His traps weren't that big. His shoulders weren't that big. What did him and Hogan have a weekend together and just do nothing but steroids all weekend? I'll tell you what was big was his stomach. (laughs) His stomach was large. It was sticking way out. That's why the Undertaker doesn't wrestle with his shirt off. Uh, <laughs> uh, and seeing a young Orin, that was great. I mean, you know, he hasn't really changed that much, but he was like what twenty-two at this point, twenty-four. Yeah. Yep. So uh, the other thing I liked about this match, throughout the match, Orton showed a lot of desperation. Oh yeah. Like, like and I think that's missing a lot. 
is that he wanted to win and he wanted to beat the streak. Yeah. You just felt it. Every time he went for a move, you felt it. Yeah, it also made me realize that there's there's some Undertaker moves that I, I just miss when he comes into the ring now. Uh, Such I as? Think the, the main one being when he did that leg drop on the apron. I really like that leg drop on the apron that he used to do, where he used to hang the guy's head over the edge and do the mm-hmm. leg drop. I really like that move because, you know, he's a huge guy, and that that just looks like it hurts. Um, and, you know, old school, albeit we got that recently, you know, uh, the ropes might have sagged a little more when he did it recently. <laughs> but um, I, I, I just miss I miss him being able to use his full arsenal. Yeah, when, when he was younger, I don't want to say in his prime because it's so hard. You know, what is The Undertaker's prime? Is it is it 96? Is it is it 94 when he was fighting himself? Is it 2000 <laughs> to 2002 when he was uh, the badass, like Jason thinks? Um, I tell you, physically, he looks great here tonight. He, Like we said, he looks great. His moves look crisp. His offense looks fast. You know, I gotta say, thinking about it, um, I would argue that this is part of the prime of his career. I think this yeah. is probably when he had his best matches. This span of, like, I'd say five years from here. No, you're not wrong, because they make him world champion next year. So, I mean, there's there's a lot of other people who see that, too. So, Yeah. And, and uh, <laughs> so, this match booking took an interesting turn when Cowboy Bob Orton himself shows up and hits The Undertaker with his cast. A cast... That was a gimmick for Cowboy Bob back in 1984. Well, as you know, in wrestling, once you injure a limb, they make sure to bring it up anytime they can, no matter how long it's been. So he's What's just, that? You know. Shawn Michaels' back hurting? What? <laughs> <laughs> um, no, you're not wrong. I, I think I just heard Seth Rollins' knee pop. <laughs> <laughs> On that injured knee. Um, thing. Ugh. I know, I do hate that about Ron. That's the one thing, I, I, and it's Michael Cole's fault, because he's the one that's like, that knee, that knee that suffered so much trauma over the years. Stop it. Stop yeah. it. Um, but, you know, Cowboy Bob hits him with the with the cast, and I'm, I do remember this vividly when I watched this live. I remember being like, no fucking way that's going to be the finish. Oh, no. Uh, thank God it wasn't, because that would have been... I mean, I'm sure Orton would have got a ton of heat, but I don't think uh, the crowd would have reacted too well to it. No, no. I don't think they would have looked at that very fondly either, going back on it. Probably not. Like, ooh, the fucking guy gets his father to hit him with a cask gimmick from 30 years ago. Uh, Orton then tries to give a tombstone to The Undertaker, which I feel like even before this match that people have tried. Hell, I think Kane tried it as recently as last year. And at least he's <laughs> he's got a tombstone in his arsenal. So as soon as Orton goes for the tombstone, it's a dead giveaway that that's the finish. Yep. And that's exactly what happens. Taker reverses it, nails Orton with a tombstone. He does the hands-over-the-chest pinfall thing. And then I think this is the first time that Taker sticks his tongue out when he pins him at WrestleMania. I might be wrong. 
I I don't stare at his tongue that often. He might have done it as early as 13 or 14. No, 14 he absolutely didn't because 14 he barely kept covered Kane after three tombstones. I mean, let's be honest. He does have a nice tongue. True. It's like let's Gene Simmons. Michelle McCool, right? Let's ask her. Yeah, or Sarah, his ex-wife, whose name right. was lazily removed from his neck. <laughs> <laughs> but at this point, it's still prominent on his on his skin. Yeah. Um, so he does, yeah, and the streak continues. Undertaker goes to thirteen and zero. Yeah, yeah, this was um, this was nice. Uh, this is a really nice match. Uh, young Randy Orton's very good. I always knew Randy Orton had a really nice drop kick, but seeing it here when he was very young really reminds you how good his drop kick is. Um, he really gets some nice height on it, and it it always looks good. Picture um, perfect. I've always said that about his drop kick. Picture perfect. Yep. Yep. Um, did you notice in the match there was that botched double clothesline? I think, I think Undertaker was just supposed to clothesline him, but Randy mm-hmm. kind of just like tried to clothesline him too. But he did have the wherewithal to kind of fall down anyway, and Undertaker just stayed there. Yeah. That <laughs> no, I noticed that. Um, it goes back to Orton still being really young. Oh yeah, yeah, um, yeah. You get the cast spot. Um, did you see when after Undertaker kicked out, you saw it went to it, it panned over to Bob Orton and he just goes, "What the fuck?" <laughs> I did see that. That was that was fucking hilarious. Um, I will say at one point, um, it, I, I think Undertaker, I, I think it was Randy Orton had a something on on the Undertaker. And Michael, I wanted to reach through the screen and strangle Michael Cole because he said, I swear to God, he said, you have to suck the breath out of your opponent. And he said it four times. You have to suck the breath out of your opponent. And I was just, I was losing my mind. Um, So the good and the bad about going back and watching all these old WrestleManias you get to see guys like Orton when they were young and they were just coming up, and it was like, wow, look at the fucking talent. You could just see the talent, like, bursting through, right? Mm-hmm. But then you also get young Michael Cole. And yeah. young Michael Cole is actually worse than today. Yeah, he's mellowed out a little bit. He just, then he was so eager and just, he was just literally the, the yes man for the company. Yeah, I'll do whatever. Yeah, of course. Yeah, I'll just say he was He was the bane of my existence for many many wrestling events because I would be in the moment I would be in the match and he would say something and I would just literally just take me out of it completely and I'd be like what the fuck did you just say <laughs> yeah and then you get the today's matches where he still has those those moments where it's like he he just says something and you just oh but nowadays, a lot of it is the person in his ear. Sure, sure, that's true. But it's like just, you said, back then he was just so eager. Oh, he just wanted to please the bosses, you could tell. Uh, but um, I, at the end of the match, uh, obviously the tombstone, uh, Randy Orton going for the tombstone was just the, it was the dead giveaway. Uh, and then afterwards, Michael Cole says... The Beast is indeed alive. And I didn't know Brock Lesnar was there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, The Beast. That They actually said that a couple times during this. Uh, that when, you know, 
Uh, when Orton slapped him, he awakened the beast. And, uh, just, no. <laughs> just yeah. no. Um, speaking of no, uh. we get a video package for our next match, Trish Stratus versus Christy Hemi. Now, not only was Christy Hemi the Diva Search winner for 2004, but also, wait for it, she was the latest diva to bear it all in Playboy magazine. Did they because that was a then? thing. Oh, they... yes, they did. Because <laughs> that was a thing. Before WWE went all PG on you, they were rated R, to quote a Uso's promo. And <laughs> they would constantly... I don't know if they would ask the girls to do Playboy or if they were had a deal with Playboy, but every year around this time, some girl would do Playboy, and every year around this time, that girl would get put in the title picture. Yeah. Yeah. Now, Christy Hemi, hell, I'll give her credit. She looks good. She got That's... no fucking business wrestling. Nope. None. In fact, they know that, and they stick tri- they stick Lita with her. Yeah, yeah. What I, they what they should have done is they should have had the gimmick where uh, Hemi gets her ankle injured within three seconds to start the match, and then she pulls a Bret Hart and just sends Lita into fight four. <laughs> that would have been better. That would have been way way better. <laughs> um, did you notice at the beginning of that like they had the little video promo for them that King said I may not? It's just typical fucking King. I may not be a leader of men, but I'm a follower of women. Oh, God. I think he meant to say girls, by the way, not women. Ugh. You know. <laughs> you know how You know there, how he goes. There are things that he says when I do these recaps that just, like, not only do they make me cringe, they actually make me, like, angry. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He, he. It's just, once again, we had one ham-handed segment. This is kind of the second one. Um, yeah. I, I was surprised in the video package to see in the buildup that Trish spray-painted slut on Christy Hemi's back. I thought it was kind of funny. That was actually yeah. the only redeeming part of this whole feud. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, yeah, Trish's outfit was redeeming. I'll give her that. Uh, yeah. But she, she kind of just toys around with Christy the whole time. It's not even... Wow, they actually... Talk about phrasing. Um, <laughs> but let's be honest. Uh, they, Christy was never going to have a, a five-star classic. And the match lasted four minutes. Yeah. And by the way, this was the first championship match of the night. It's WrestleFucking-Mania. And this was our first championship bout. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I I didn't realize that Christy Hemi's music was so awful. <laughs> it's it's terrible. You know what though? Speaking of music, you bring up a good point because there's a couple times in this episode on the network that I feel like they didn't have the rights to certain songs and they just threw in generic music. Like we'll get to it at the end, but you know how they do the video recap after the final match right that wasn't the song used for the original broadcast the original broadcast had that song big time 
big, big time. Oh, yeah, I remember that. And that that was completely not the song played on the network. It was something generic that they pulled out of their fucking ass because they don't have the rights to that song. So I'm wondering, since Hemi was a Diva Search winner and a Playboy girl, if she had a different song? Like, maybe she came out to a real song? I actually think this was her song because I kind of remember it being that bad. Oh. Yeah. Oh, well, never mind then. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's a good point. I, I, I do like the point you're making. Um, but I actually think this was her song. Um, uh, Christy's selling throughout the match is uh, awful. It's it's so awful that even the announcers are starting to feel bad for her when they're <laughs> announcing her. Um, and you can, it's, you can audibly hear Trish calling the match. Uh, up until the point where they're in the corner and and she has like they try to do a spot and Christy Hemi fucks it up. Mm-hmm. She gets her back to the corner to do it again the right time and you hear Trish going, "Are you ready? Are you ready to do it?" <laughs> uh, and it's it's literally for a chop. It's she does a chop right after that. There's a lot of chops in this match, by the way. There is, but let me ask you this, and I'm being dead serious. Given the amount of training Christy Hemi had from when she was picked as the Diva Search winner, which was just, at this point, like eight months ago, to now, right, mm-hmm. on the biggest stage of them all, who was a worse wrestler, Christy Hemi or Lana? Because Lana's had years of training. Wow. And I'll even uh... take it one step further. Neither Lana or Christy Hemi are anywhere as bad as Eva Marie. That's true. And yes, Jason, I fucking said it, because I don't give a shit what the girl looks like. I never had a problem with what she looks like. But Eva Marie couldn't get in and out of the ring the right way. I will say Christy is worse, uh, purely based on looks. Okay, fair enough. Um, yeah, Christy Hemi had those kicks, too. You remember those fucking awful kicks she was throwing? True. They weren't Naomi bad. They, I would have preferred Naomi's kicks. These things were terrible. (laughs) But she's got a neck breaker. That's her only move she can do. (laughs) See? That's one more move than Lana can do. Lana does the the face, the the X-Factor. You know what I love is when Lana does the X-Factor and she's late on the move and the girl hits her face before Lana actually goes down. <laughs> That's true. Lana does a decent Machka kick, though. Yeah, she does a great punch, too. <laughs> oh, wait. <laughs> fair fair enough. That's fair. I'm just uh, going based off looks. I think Lana is better looking than Christy Hemi. That goes without saying, but as far as wrestling ability, especially the fact that Lana's been training for like five years now, yeah, Lana, based on looks. <laughs> Still got to go with that. <laughs> I don't it just it's it's literally me saying they I think they're both so bad that it doesn't matter and I'm just going with looks instead. Fair. Okay, fine. Who's worse, Great Kelly or or Christy Hemi? <laughs> ooh. Ooh. Ah. Uh, ooh. You know, uh, I'll say Christy Hemi, based on looks, is worse. <laughs> Great Kali, at least, you know, he was the playboy, right? Yeah, the Punjabi, Punjabi playboy. playboy. You, you know, know what? I, I don't think he graces my timeline, and you know what? I'm not going to complain about that. <laughs> well, that's okay. At the end of this match, you get Ch- Christy Hemi botching the, the chick kick, 
And uh, that was a match. True. Thankfully, it was only four minutes. But as much as they like to dump stuff like this on us, they also, back then more than they do now, give us gems. Yeah, you better follow that with this match. And the next match is what some consider to be one of the greatest WrestleMania matches of all time. It definitely is on the list. And our our next match is the Heartbreak Kid Shawn Michaels versus Kurt Angle. Yeah, I uh I didn't I did purposely didn't look up the match card and I purposely didn't look at the little time markers on the WWE mm-hmm. network. Mm-hmm. So when this came up, I was pumped. I was so excited. I remember when I was watching this live, this being like holy shit, this is happening. Um, and what I liked is during the build-up, or during the the hype video, you see that this match starts as all classic matches should start, as far as WrestleMania goes. This match starts because Michaels eliminated Angle from the Royal Rumble. Oh, yeah. And then Angle just goes ballistic and beats the shit out of him and eliminates Michaels out of the Royal Rumble. Uh, also, many people, many people, Meltzer... Alvarez, many people were saying this was the dream match of dream matches in 2005. Oh, yeah. I'm not sure about now. In fact, no, don't put these two in the ring together now. But (laughs) (laughs) um, Kurt Angle, Shawn Michaels, and the first thing I notice, whether it be a detriment or a positive, is I'm so used to, because of these WrestleManias, seeing Michaels come out there and dancing his way to the ring, as opposed to praying a lot. Yeah. He yeah. prayed He prayed more during this entrance than Muhammad Hassan did. Yeah. Yeah, he did. <laughs> he did. I'm just um, saying. I'm not saying it's a bad thing. I'm just saying. It's weird. It's weird to see. And he's... Also- he, Go ahead. I also know. I think this was his big change of character, if you will. No, you're not wrong because last year when he was fighting in the main event against Triple H and Benoit, it was still kind of classic Shawn Michaels. And then this year, it's like kind of like new gear with like the leather pants. Was this the first one with the leather pants? As far as WrestleManias, yeah, because last year he had the classic like red and black tights. Yeah, I I would argue I think this might have been the first time he donned those those leather chaps as like his ring gear. Yeah, no, I think you're right, and it, it's it's a little bit getting used to. <laughs> um, True, I, especially for because I was a Michaels Mark. I I I loved watching him growing up, and then I'm used to him a certain way, so that when he started changing his look, I was kind of like. Mm. You know, combine that with all the praying. I was like, this isn't really Shawn Michaels. Yeah. Still the same music, though. (laughs) Still the same music. Still does have the same music, for what it's worth. Um, And I gotta say that fucking... It was amazing what Angle did against Brock at WrestleMania 19 with a broken freaking neck. Oh, yeah. What What he did with Eddie was amazing last year, but... Kurt Angle comes to the ring and you just he's the cyborg. 
you just feel it. Like, the intensity, everything that made Kurt Angle what he was is there tonight. Yeah, what I what I will say about um, Shawn Michaels' entrance um, is uh, I can only I can only see Shawn Michaels now without his hair. <laughs> oh no! <laughs> yeah, it's awful because his hair is kind like it's kind of thinning here. It's not quite. Mm-hmm. So it's like as soon as I see that that head shine through, I'm like, oh, he has no hair now. Did, Did you, you also? Go ahead. Did you watch Crown Jewel? No. I I saw some of the highlights. I didn't watch it. I don't want to watch it. I don't think I will watch it. Um, but yeah, there is a visual of him bald, whether it was from Raw or whether it was from that match that I can't shake. It's yeah. Kinda it's, bothersome. <laughs> it's really bothersome. Like he he's and it. The worst part was I picture him bald with that stupid cowboy hat, like, under thing. You know, like, the headband type thing he's got mm-hmm, on. Mm-hmm. I can't stand that thing. Like, if I understand it's, like, so you don't get the, the head chafing, right? Right. But, like, just take it off if you're going to go on TV. I know. You don't you don't need that on. Because it looks silly when your hat flies off. It looks like, like you're getting ready to go to sleep after this. The first gonna... time when he got choke slammed on Raw... And the hat fell off. I think I jumped out of my seat. <laughs> yeah, what is he, a monk now? He I was like, like what the fuck? What happened to him? Is <laughs> he a burnt ring around his head? Um, Undertaker hit him so hard he knocked his hair off. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, it upset me because he first got the haircut. Like, he had a, a short yes, haircut. Yes, he had a short haircut. And they actually showed that on TV. He didn't look bad with the short hair. And then he decided, bah, I'll just shave it off. No! Terrible idea. That's a terrible idea. <laughs> I, I complete. I was okay with him with the short hair. Yeah. I, yeah, and it's, I honestly didn't know that he didn't have it anymore until he got chokeslammed. Yeah, it's like you're later in your life. You don't want the long hair anymore. You don't want the maintenance. That's fine. You get a short haircut. He's, it's not like he was bald. He had thinning hair, but he wasn't bald. He wasn't balding, even. He just had thinning hair. And then you're just going to shave it. Yes. All right? Cool. By the way, did you know uh, when Michaels came out, the announcers kept saying that uh, he's a doormat for nobody? <laughs> I did notice that because they said it about 55 times. Yeah. Yeah, I, that really irked me. <laughs> and that was Lawler and, and JR. Yeah. Which are He's typically a for nobody. They, they're typically the better announced team when you watch these WrestleManias, but yeah. oh, without a doubt. But obviously, there's... that line was was being told to them to say repeatedly. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'll tell you this: I love the start of this match because Michaels goes hold for hold with Angle in a wrestling capacity, and it's not even something you typically see Shawn Michaels do. Oh, I love that too. I I loved. He was trying to mat wrestle Angle. Um, the one thing I didn't like was Sean slapping Angle in the beginning. Why? Why? Like, you had that earlier with Orton. Yeah, he's clearly a heel, and you're gonna have that with Sean. He was clearly a face. Yeah, That's a little weird. You already had that once to to go back to that. Well, so soon after it was kind of pointless. Yeah, it wasn't. You just had the mat wrestling. Just do the mat wrestling. That's fine. 
Yeah. It was Sh- really cool. Sean was legit Dean Malenkoing it up there. He was yeah. doing some crazy fucking holds that I'd never seen Sean do. Yeah, it was really cool. It was like that 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 actual wrestling technique mixed with that professional wrestling style. And it it was great. It looked really good. Now, once Michaels and Angle kind of spill to the outside, that's where shit really starts picking up. Oh, yeah. And Michaels clears off the announce table, and I'm like, oh, shit, because I don't remember 100% this match. And I'm, like, thinking, is he going to do, like, an elbow drop through the table? That would be sick. Yeah. (laughs) Um, But thank God he didn't, given what type of table it was, I guess. Because, uh, not to bury the lead, but at one point, Angle tries to German suplex Michaels off the apron through the announce table, which would have been fucking insane. And I'm actually glad he didn't do it, because Sean probably would have broke his neck. Yep. But just the visual of it was great. Oh, absolutely. Um, what, what would you... Um, go ahead and think what, what do you think is better do you think Kurt Angle's uppercuts or Shawn Michaels chops I like Angle's uppercuts um, most of the people including Shawn who sell them snap their head back every time he hits one and and I, Michael's chops are good but it just it's like almost like too flary yeah it's too I, I agree because I think what you're saying is I think the reason that people fly their heads back is because Angle's throwing his bicep into their foreheads. <laughs> True. Um, <laughs> a fair but point. Michael's Michael's chops look like uh, like a like he's flailing his hand a little much. Like Benoit's chops look like they took your skin off. Uh, Michael's mm-hmm. chops just kind of looked like he was kind of hitting you. Like, yeah, like I felt like he was doing the chops just to do them. Like, to, oh hey, I can incorporate chops too, and I never I never cared much for his chops. So one of the best parts is that Michaels gets away from the German suplex spot by mule-kicking Kurt right in the junk. (laughs) But they did it beautifully because the ref was was preoccupied staring at Sean and Kurt's faces, so he completely doesn't see Michaels uh, kick Kurt. And then Michaels nails Angle with a springboard moonsault. And the table doesn't break. Oh, yeah. And the announcers immediately go to, well, they reinforced the table with steel. Oh, my God. Yeah. Fucking awful. I'm calling bullshit. I've seen those tables before, and I know they've broken before. (laughs) They're reinforced with steel. (laughs) That's a bunch of fucking crap. I guarantee you that table was supposed to break. I mean, I get it. They're trying to cover for it, but uh, that's not a great cover. No, it was really not. You know, steel's the be-all, end-all. Steel chairs, steel steel stairs. Oh, what was the first thing they tell you? Steel ladders don't bend? Yeah. You know what I mean? Steel ladders, well, then again, how many times have we seen the spot in a Money in the Bank or a TLC where the guy goes through a ladder, which isn't how ladders work? Uh- <laughs> Um, I'll tell you when Sean starts rolling on offense he really starts rolling oh yeah he's going like 100 miles an hour people pop for the pit for the kick up kip up whatever nip up whatever the fuck he calls it Um, 
and what I thought was perfect was as he's going and going and the crowd keeps getting behind him more and more and he goes for the su- he nails the elbow drop which literally brings everybody to their feet and he goes for the super kick and angle just completely stops every bit of his momentum and puts him in the fucking ankle lock oh yeah that was fantastic that whole sequence was fantastic <laughs> yeah and and as much as i shit on uh the announcers earlier for calling you know Shawn Michaels is a doormat for nobody they really sold this well no they did they absolutely did um what I didn't understand is that you know Mike Michaels escapes and Angle who had his straps down at this point right Mm -hmm. puts his straps back up (laughs) And then immediately puts them down again. Yeah, I think I think it was just one of those moments where he puts them up and he's like, "Oh yeah, that's not right," and then he puts them <laughs> back down. <laughs> I was like, "Now he has double strap removing power." <laughs> Every time he puts them down, he gets a little bit stronger. It's like a special in a video game. <laughs> I, 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 he then. Uh, goes for a moonsault he gets some beautiful height on it his moonsaults always looked really good but two things wrong he misses sean which is fine except for that he almost didn't miss sean did you notice that his head almost hit him (laughs) yep he almost he almost did a moonsault benoit headbutt (laughs) he would have brock lesnar himself um at least it wasn't a shooting star press (laughs) (laughs) But then that leads to my favorite spot because Ang, um, this is my favorite spot of the match. This is the spot that stuck with me the longest. Angle picks up Sean and he's talking all types of shit to him. And Sean's selling like only Michaels can. And Angle's like, You're done. You're finished, Sean. You're all done. And, and Sean just gets that little bit of separation and then Cole cocks him with the super kick. Yep. And for all you fucking young wrestlers out there throwing a super kick, none of you, not one of you, used to do it like Shawn Michaels. Yeah, none of you ever did it like Glacier did in WCW. (laughs) (laughs) I think those were uh, karate crescent kicks that Glacier would throw. No, he just threw a straight super kick. They called it that, though? Well, I mean, I don't remember what they called it, but I remember he used to throw the super kick and hold the pose. Oh, after he did it? Yeah, it was su- nice. It was actually really cool. I know, I never minded him as a worker. I Not just as thought a worker, that the, just... I just thought that the gimmick was fucking lame as shit. Yep. Fair enough. But yeah, no, this was this is how you do it. This is how you throw a super kick. Now, Jeff, I'm going to ask you, did they fuck up here or was this done on purpose because after about 20 seconds michaels goes for the cover he drapes an arm across kurt and the referee counts three but then is like oh no it totally was two yeah i think that was a fuck up (laughs) i think that was a fuck up because uh i think i don't know who that was I, i i would only assume that was on the ref because uh i think I don't think either of these guys would have th- thought the finish would have been Shawn Michaels pinning Kurt Angle after 20 seconds of break. 
Right. I I would have to assume it's not on Kurt. He's going to make it as close as possible. Because yeah, he um, absolutely hit the mat for the three. Yeah. That ref has to... He's got to time his, his, his shit out better so that he can stop his hand from hitting three. Yeah, it almost seemed like he, he planned on counting two and then and he just couldn't stop that hand from hitting. But it, it was it was a dangerous part because the crowd instantly starts booing the shit out of it. <laughs> <laughs> you, you actually, uh, going back just for a second, uh, you know what I didn't get when you were saying Kurt Angle pulled down his straps and put him back up after that mm-hmm. ankle lock? Mm-hmm. Was when Sean got to the ropes and broke that hold, the crowd booed. Yeah, uh, I, I don't thought know that was really bizarre. if it's because they were expecting that to be the finish, or if it's just because like it's not that they didn't like Sean because they liked Sean. I don't right. know. That was a little bit weird. Yeah, it was really bizarre to me. Or maybe they just thought that Sean would counter it like better than you know just get to the ropes. Yeah, I don't know. It was pretty loud booze, though. It was it was noticeable. Um, but sorry, sorry to go back. Continue. No, no, you're you're fine. Um, what I liked is so that you know, Angle quote unquote kicks out. You know, Sean struggling to get up, and then Angle just latches onto him like a bear trap, just like a fuck out of nowhere, like a goddamn end of a horror movie. He just comes up from the fucking lake and just snatches Michael's fuck. It's like a Jaws. It was like Jaws. Seriously, it was like fucking Jaws. Better, better ankle lock. Kurt Angle or uh, Jack Swagger. A- angle. <laughs> come on. No, come on. Jack Swagger. You know he was a big guy. Stop. Um. <laughs> <laughs> I can't even fake argue that. So, what I liked here, and there's a lot of drama in this ending because. Angle locks it in. Sean kicks him off twice, but Angle doesn't let go. Yep. And then Sean is kind of near the rope, but not really. And Angle is just cinching it in. And, dude, Sean has nowhere to go. The finish actually made a lot of sense. I remember, like, when I was watching it the first time, I was like, oh, come on. How are you going to have Shawn Michaels tap out? But he... He tried everything. He could not escape it. Yeah. And that's proof that Sean actually is a doormat for Kurt Angle. (laughs) No, it was a fantastic ending. I mean, if you're going to have somebody tap to a submission and keep them strong, I think this is how you do it. Mm -hmm. Um, It's just that the other guy was too determined to not let go of that. And the announcers, I mean, especially Jim Ross, he was the MVP of announcing at the end of this. Like, he was fantastic. Mm-hmm. Um, selling the agony Michaels was going through. Um, and Angle winning was kind of a surprise to me. Not going to no, lie. You're right, because you felt that it was set up for Sean to win, especially after not winning the world title last year. Uh-huh. But the one critique I'll have on the announcing is the second after Michaels tapped, Lawler was like, I think his ankle's broke. Mm-hmm. And I'm mm-hmm. like, mm, don't, you don't need to do that. Don't give well, him an out, because it was just the tenacity of angle that got that tap out. Yep. Yeah. 
yeah, but I, I, going back in the match, I, I know <clears throat> King, when when he had the ankle lock on originally, King was selling it like, it could break his leg, it could break his leg! <laughs> and, you know, he wanted to do a whole callback because he decided to care for a second. <laughs> yeah, Heel King, when he forgets to be Heel King, is bad. Yeah... It's too bad because I, I I really I have to make a point to go back and watch like really old Jerry the King Lawler matches because I've I've heard really good things about them. His matches where he was a wrestler. Yeah. Oh, he was fantastic. Yeah, I haven't seen too many. And I'm not I, I'm not even talking about the WWF stuff. I'm talking like when he was in Memphis wrestling. Yeah. He, he literally was the king. He was untouchable. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, that's what I hear. I, I really got to go back and watch his matches. Because his commentary leaves a bad taste in my mouth. <laughs> as was... well as many other young girls. <laughs> Zing. Um, <laughs> he was, he like was enough. actually a better commentator earlier in his WWF career. Like when he was feuding with Bret Hart and stuff. Okay. He, he was definitely funnier and not as high-pitched. I'll say that. Mm, that's fair. Hey, remember when Dolph Ziggler kicked him in the heart because he had a heart attack? Oh, God. <laughs> uh, well, oh, Dolph Ziggler's the one who kind of caused that in the first place. So. Yeah, that's true. Uh, this match went 27 minutes. I'm not kidding you. It didn't feel like 27 minutes. It didn't. It didn't. It flowed so well. It went. It, it flew by. And there were a it lot of a- times where I'm watching some of this stuff and it's kind of a struggle because I'm like... Alright, I'm getting tired, or I gotta go to work tomorrow morning, but not with this match. I was entertained from the fucking minute the match started, and I yep. was just elated by the time it ended. Just to give you an example, I was I was doing Nitro Mania with Adam, mm-hmm. and we watched uh, we watched this match between uh, God, who was it? It was Conan and Juventud Guerrero. Oh boy. And I think that match went maybe 15 minutes, and it literally felt like 40 minutes. You were just like, ugh, they're still going. <laughs> yeah, it was... It's just, when you put a match together that that is this long and this well done, there's nothing that beats it. I mean, and, and, and when you put together a match that could be seven minutes long that's mm-hmm. garbage and has stupid false finishes, and, and it feels like an eternity. It really does. Now, in recent times, a lot of uh, specifically indie performers have gone back in time to when they used to do, like, 60-minute Broadways and stuff, right? Mm-hmm. You think about, like, Kenny Omega and Okada, right? Yep. And that's fine, and that's great, and that's nothing... I, I'm not going to sit here and say anything bad about those two. But when you take a match like this, you don't need an hour. You take 20 minutes, 25 minutes... And you tell a story, and it's the fucking best thing in the world. Right. Right. And whether or not this was Sean's greatest match post-comeback, because there are some people, and I will give credit to Philip Goad, who's a follower of this podcast, as well as other podcasts on the rundown. Who what's said up, that, Philip? What's up, Philip? He said this was his favorite post-Michaels comeback match. I know a lot of people will obviously put Taker versus uh, Sean as number one, but hey, it's hard to argue. This was a fucking great match. I think they're neck and neck, really. I mean, 
I, I, I need to really go back, especially when you go back and cover that. I, I will probably at least watch that if I'm not on the podcast. I'll definitely watch it because I, I need to see that match again. Well, it's also really kind of, them. you know, and I hate to be cliche, it's kind of comparing apples and oranges. You know, Undertaker is not going to have the same match with Sean that Kurt Angle is going to have. Mm-hmm. So the styles of the match and the pacing of the match is going to be completely different. Right. Plus the, the kind of the um, the stakes were completely different too. That's so a there, fair there point. Is, there's a different, a totally different feel to the match. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Now next up on this on this show, it's one of the all-time great segments in WWF history. A segment I completely forgot was even on the show. Uh, they decide to throw out Piper's pit. Oh, uh, yeah. And Piper comes out, and he wants to talk to the rebel of the WWE, the badass, the one that everyone's talking about, Stone Cold Steve Austin. Now, Jeff, this was on April 3rd, 2005, but he's talking like it was, like, you know... April third, two thousand one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's acting like he's still he's still the rebel in the WWE. Yeah, yeah. I was a little bit uh, disjointed. I don't think by Piper's fault. I just think that whoever wrote that or whoever pitched that wasn't. You know, come on. Austin's been out of the game for two years at this point. He's the rebel of the WWE. Yeah. Once again, a little ham-handed. Right. Right. Um. You know what's weird, too? What's really fucking weird is that both guys are trying to get the what chant over. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks for that, assholes. <laughs> yeah. You really helped a lot of guys out in the future. Um, one thing I did like, and I actually mentioned this in the host thread, there's no... There's a lot of Austin and Piper here that is not scripted. It is completely off the cuff, completely reacting to what the other guy's saying or doing. Whereas you take a promo like we saw on Monday night with Seth, and it, it's good, but it's it's like you know your typical, uh, you know, middle school Christmas play. <laughs> right. <laughs> like the only the only problem is once again I think that's comparing apples and oranges. I, I think that if you had this, I mean, say you had this style of segment now. I don't know if it would be over as much. Not saying... I'm saying you have two guys who were, quote-unquote, as big as these guys were at the time now. Like, uh, say... Who could you pick now that would be, like, three, four years removed from wrestling? I was going to say Daniel Bryan The Miz. (laughs) Because they just had this type of segment last week. Right. Um, But you say, like, Edge and... Like yeah, yeah. You, like somebody else, you're not gonna have the same kind of a a promo. And nowadays, it's like it's all about trying to make it seem like it's the big pipe bomb. Right, know? right, right, right. Um, but that's the problem. Is is and I don't know if it's if it's a problem with delivery or if it's a problem with writing, but it doesn't sound natural, and it doesn't matter if it's Nia Jax or. Um, Miz, or a lot of it. Why would you even say her? (laughs) (laughs) Well, because, like, she's the first one that I thought of who, like, completely sounds contrived. Like, I am reading from the words that I wrote on my sweaty hand. 
<laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. She's not. Okay, not and, that, and that's a bad example, to, especially here, because we're talking about two of the best talkers in the business, in Austin and Piper. Mm-hmm. But, you know, it it's such a great thing when you see these two guys in the ring barbing at each other. And oh, then yeah. and then it gets fucking ruined because who comes out? Fucking Carlito. And I forgot he was even employed by the company at this point. Yeah, and for me, um it's I by the way, I really liked when basically Rowdy Roddy Piper called Stone Cold shit. Basically, <laughs> he, he just did. called him shit to get him out. And uh, uh I'm really glad they kept Jim Ross and King there. Yes. Um because you know, whenever you have Stone Cold come out, you gotta have Jim Ross. Um, and then Roddy Piper tossing the stools out. Oh yeah, that was oh, great. The, te- the tension was like through the roof. I didn't know what was gonna happen. And it, and it felt like old Austin too. It felt like 1998 Austin. Yeah, it did. It did. And and to even undermine more the slap that Shawn Michaels had, you get a big slap by Rowdy Roddy Piper. I, I like that though. That Piper started off by slapping Austin across the face because he's Rowdy Piper, and oh yeah, and then Austin slapped him across the face because he's fucking Stone Cold Steve Austin. Yeah, no, I, this is great. I have no problem with them doing it. I'm just saying, the re- now you have three different. Oh spots yeah, now you make Sean slap seem even worse. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, it's silly. It's silly to have that many in the night. But um, anyway. As soon as Carlito comes out, it's like let's let's bury another young talent, <laughs> throw him a, in the fucking hole. It's funny because when when Carlito comes out, I had an epiphany and I was like, oh no, I am literally staring at Elias's career trajectory. Uh, <laughs> yeah, you know there's going to be some sort of. Stone Cold or Rock. It's going to be The Rock. It's going to be this year, and Rock is going to bury him and murder him on the mic and make him look silly, and then Elias will be released by June. God, I hope not. <laughs> I, I have so much hope that Elias will be okay. It's You really think about it, like, Elias was nothing in NXT. No, I know. For him to come up and have such a spot now is, is it's and, cool. You know, it's it, cool. You don't see it ever. <laughs> It is cool. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it is cool. No, it, it it is, and I'm. I think Elias will be fine. But that's the first thing I thought of when I saw Carlito. Yeah, I was like, oh shit, I remember this. I've seen this story before. Um, <laughs> I did appreciate Piper taking like sixteen bites of the apple, trying to talk with the apple in his mouth, and then basically throwing up on Carlito. <laughs> Yes. Yeah, he took way, way. He there was no apple left when he was done, and he had it all in his mouth. That was hilarious. <laughs> and then he just spit it all over Carlito's face. I was like, oh man. Speaking of burying young talent. Yep. Spits oh, the apple in his face. I pokes him. So, and that's the other thing. So, I forgot about this, but every single time Carlito had a match. JR would bring up the fact that he's left-handed. And it got really annoying. And as soon as he did it, I heard him. I, I, I just felt all that annoyance come back. He, You know, he spits the apple, and then Carlito starts beating up Piper, and JR's like, Carlito, the southpaw! 
Oh no. I'm like, stop, stop. Why do you bring that up every time Carlito throws a punch? Yeah, why is that a, a notable thing to say? Uh, I just think because he likes to say Southpaw. Southpaw! Uh. That does sound like something he would like to say, yeah. That does sound it's like good. It's like Knobberknocker or Slobberknocker. <laughs> Slobberknocker. <laughs> it's, it's getting late. It's run down after dark. Um, it, overall, it was a great segment. Um, you know, Austin threw, grabbed Carlito and threw him into the turnbuckle and started stomping him. Then he threw him back to Piper and Piper hit him with an eye poke of doom to the eyeball, which I thought was pretty funny. And then, you know, uh, Carlito gets tossed out of the ring. He's, he's the 2005 version of Heat Slater. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, it was... It was a fine segment. It was bearing more young talent. Um, and then after the match, you know, after the, not the match, but after the segment, they just pounded beers. So many beers. Yeah. So, so many beers. I think that was Austin's plan. Get Piper drunk, and then I'll just give him a stunner. Yeah. It was so many beers, I wish I had counted them. <laughs> uh, and then he gives him the stunner, and Piper kind of sells it like he's having a seizure, but hey, whatever. We'll go yeah. with it. It's fine, fine sell, I suppose. Austin uh, music plays, and we go to our next match. Although I don't know if you can call it a match. So, Jeff, our next match is a sumo contest between the Big Show and Aki Bono. Yeah. So, <laughs> listen, I'll give them all the credit in the world. Uh, they did all the traditional sumo stuff. You know, they threw salt. They were fat. Um, <laughs> but uh, Aki Bono at this point is is old. And Big Show is ugly. And he has no ass. So it's weird. Yeah, concave so, ass almost. He definitely has a concaved ass. And he also has really weird flat feet. It's kind of gross. Yeah, almost like pancake feet. But uh, I'll say this. That when... Uh, Lucky for us, they kept it short. They kept this match to about a minute. And even though Big Show did pick up Aki Bono at one point, uh, Aki Bono then kind of does almost like an offensive lineman move and hip tosses him out of the ring. Yeah, yeah. Um, As short as the match was, the preemptive part of the match was twice as long, if not three times as long, and was kind of really stupid. It's right. not good for a wrestling crowd. Um, no, and they didn't seem to get it either, so... No, no. Um, Akipono, Akibono, Akipono. Akipony? Akipony. Akipony's got some big titties. Um, yeah, he and, does. And, uh, yeah, I mean, th- there's nothing really to say about this. Um, you know, I just kind of felt bad at the end for Big Show. He just seemed to sulk away. <laughs> Uh, wouldn't be the first time. Sure, won't be the last. Sideshow, big show. Sideshow, big show. <laughs> he just needs a rake. That's it. He just needs a rake and a bunch of rakes that, and that he just <laughs> steps into constantly. Yep. Oh, <laughs> I'm getting a push, rake. <laughs> um, our next championship match, second one of the night is the WWE title JBL versus John Cena. And you know what time it is, Jeff? Yeah. 
It's John Cena song time! I thought it was just boo. Ah, boo. (laughs) (laughs) That's the 2010 John Cena version. Right, right. You know what? I, it, okay, so Cena at this point is over as fuck. I'll give him that. He is still over as fuck, and you should have heard them last year. They were hanging on his every word. But uh, I think it's the right time for him to win the title. He's, he's, he's you know, been put in this position for about a year now. It's, it's, it's the right time. It's the right place. It's the right opponent? I mean, I can't stand JBL, so sure, why not? <laughs> uh, I also... So as much as bad of I think as JBL is a douchebag, uh, to prove that point, he completely rips off Ted DiBiase's gimmick and has his black man slave come out there to take his jacket and then leave. Yeah, yeah, that was um, that was really shitty. It, his entrance was so bad that the announcers were laughing at the ridiculousness of it. Also, I don't. I hate to get all Daniel Bryan on everybody, but uh, what a waste of paper. Let's print JBL's face on money, on fake money, and let's pour it over the crowd. Yeah, that was uh, that was really silly. I, I, by the way, I didn't know JBL played for the Oakland Raiders. Did you? I did not, but considering they're all a bunch of degenerate, cocaine-sucking assholes, I'm not surprised. That's fair. I figure him and Heidenreich can rape some people in the bathroom. <laughs> Fair point. Fair, fair point. Um, JBL doesn't even look like a champion. He's he's got like he looks like he's ten years past his prime, but yet this is his prime. Yeah, he looks like the shell of a champion. Yeah, he's all like fat and out of shape, and I don't know. It's it's ugh. And then this match. Okay, so let's get into the match this match was 11 minutes long for a wwe title match wrestlemania and i can't even really tell you much about it there was a lot of clotheslines yeah yeah i I will say um i one thing i thought was funny is a a kid very loudly in the beginning of the match yelled you suck jbl which kind of made me laugh Um, (laughs) and i will say jbl's punches looked pretty decent um it, you know, just to show you how bad it is, I think JBL's offense in this match consisted of punches, clotheslines, and four neck four neck breakers. He did the neck breaker well. Four of them, though. He had three of them in the ring and one outside. That's okay, because Cena's friggin' offense consisted of shoulder block, shoulder block. Uh, side power bomb thing, uh, five knuckle shuffle, and of course the fu. Which goddamn them for changing the name on that. That was the best named finisher in wrestling. Oh, you don't like the AA? No. no. Um, it makes Cena sound like an alcoholic, or somebody who hates, <laughs> or somebody who hates Scott Hall. I don't know, one or the other. Fair enough. Um, Cena wins with the aforementioned fu, and we get our brand new WWE champion, who the announcers undersell like crazy. Yeah, they sold that like a wet fart. He's he's celebrating in the crowd, and they're just like, eh, 
John Cena won. John Cena wins. That's okay, because I'm sure certain people will get in their ear, and from here on out, they will make it a big deal every time Cena wins. No. (laughs) Also, it's funny that the guy who coined the phrase Big Match John is the one getting pinned here tonight. Right. Yes. He just knows from experience. You know what else I forgot about? I forgot he pumped up his goddamn shoes. I forgot he did that shit. Oh, I loved when he had the, he had the fucking the the pumps on his sneakers. I used to have those when I was a kid. Oh, really? You had those? Yeah, those are the fucking things of the bomb, man. Even grandmama had a pair of those. <laughs> did they? What did they add? Cushion or something? Uh, maybe slightly. Mm. I think that was the gimmick. I don't think they actually did though. It was just the effect of pumping the shoes up. Yeah, pump them up, pump them up, pump up the jams. <laughs> <laughs> you didn't just show your age there. Not no, at not at all. Speaking of showing age, it's time for the Hall of Fame. I will say this. The Hall of Fame ceremony that they showed highlights from was was decently funny. Uh, I appreciate the Iron Sheik babbling on about God knows why, because nobody understood what the fuck he said. I appreciate Sylvester Stallone calling Hulk Hogan the Incredible Hulk Hogan, even though that's not his moniker. Yeah, no, Hulk Hogan's not in the... He's not in the Hall of Fame. Oh, right, right. That's right. That never happened. Never. Ever. I thought he got back in. No? I don't know. No, no, no. Who the fuck knows at this point? No China. Ever. But Hogan, (laughs) Sonny, Jimmy Snuka. No, China's a criminal. Let's let's be honest. (laughs) Yes, she had way too many dicks at her once. Illegal. (laughs) Illegal. Uh, so what I liked about this when they announced the Hall of Fame, first of all, I liked the fact that Gene Oakland announced them. I totally agree. Uh, he, he he introduces each Hall of Famer, and they're all escorted to the stage by you know current WWE divas. Some of them looking fucking amazing. Let me just say, Miss Jackie's tits are ridiculous. Well, the fact that uh, they're literally spilling out of her dress is, yeah, is I, mind-boggling how there wasn't a wardrobe malfunction. They literally look like a can of biscuits that were about to burst out. <laughs> <laughs> I think I think uh, Mr. Wonderful Paul Ondroff thinks the same thing because he can't stop staring at them. Oh, I know. Oh, my God. He was, he was drooling. He also stared at her ass when she walked away, just for the record. He's Mr. Wonderful. He can do what he wants. <laughs> the Hall of Famers are announced as follows. The Russian-born Nikolai Volkov. The Iron Sheik. I fuck your ass make you humble. That's right. Mr. Wonderful Paul Orndorff, who definitely tried to slip Jackie the tongue, and she completely mm-hmm. gave him cheek. She was like, nope, nope, that's not <laughs> happening. Uh, Cowboy Bob Orton, who all of a sudden doesn't have a cast on his hand. That's... <laughs> Proof maybe he was faking it. Or that 22 years later, it miraculously healed in an hour. Yeah. That's what I'm going yeah. with. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, we have the ever-balding Mouth of the South Jimmy Hart. <laughs> this, you know, talking about bald, people going bald earlier, that, that's something when you just hold on to that last bit of hair until, until your tying day. <laughs> um, then, of course, Rowdy Roddy Piper... Mm. You went with the enunciation on that one. Even though I don't think Oakland did. And 
coming out with Stacy Keebler, the immortal Hulk Hogan. God, I haven't seen him in years. Oh, wait, he was here 30 minutes ago on this show. Right, he beat up a terrorist. <laughs> he beat up a couple of them. Um, I, I gotta say, Maria came out at one point. Ah, she I don't, did. Who did she come out with? I don't remember. She, she came, came out with, with uh, Jimmy Hart? No, Piper. She came out no, with no, Piper. No, 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 Tori came out with Piper. She definitely came out with Jimmy Hart. Okay, Jimmy Hart. She, I think she looks better now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. She yeah, didn't look get... bad. She didn't look bad before, but she has aged very well. Yeah, I have, I see her weekly on Hurry Up and Cruiserweight. Cheap plug right there. Nice. <laughs> uh, okay, honestly, these guys here, from Iron Sheik to Paul Orndorff to Piper to Hogan, this is a great class. Fantastic. They don't always have great classes, <laughs> but uh, when they what... do, they have main adventures from WrestleMania 1. Yeah, they, they they tend to run out when you've been doing uh what is it eight people over the course of fifteen years. Are are you saying that they ran out when they put Coco Beware in? No. Or the no, Bushwhackers. No, they all belong. We're just gonna get the Nasty Boys next year. Oh, go oh, fuck me. Um, so you don't like a good old pit stop. <laughs> God. <laughs> there is a moment, and I'll give him a cheap plug, in the newest episode of Nitromania, where Adam references that Brian Nobbs is shoving donuts into his face. And that's all I can think of when I hear about the Nasty Boys now. <laughs> that's about right. I mean, that's what they are. That's, just... that's uh, them in a nutshell. If you picture the wrestling techniques, just picture them shoving donuts in their mouth. <laughs> <laughs> all right. It is now time for our main event of the evening. Gosh, we got here so quick over the past couple matches. Oh, yeah. That's what we do here on the the WrestleMania Salvation Podcast. We just fly through. Yeah, we Uh, plow over the bullshit to get the stuff. So, Batista won the Royal Rumble. Sort of, kind of? I don't know if you know this. This was the Royal Rumble. This was the WrestleMania two months after... The infamous Royal Rumble where Cena and Batista eliminated each other. Oh, this was the Vince blowing out his quads? And then Vince tore his quads off the bone. That's like Uh, my favorite thing ever. Which, by the way, I have some audio of Vince doing that right here, exclusive for the rundown. Everybody was automatically aware of who he was going to choose for his WrestleMania opponent, even though Triple H and Ric Flair tried to manipulate him into choosing JBL. He didn't do that. Batista, the babyface, chose Triple H, threw the contract down, and then beat the shit out of him and Ric Flair. The infamous thumbs-down incident. Yes. I actually approved of this because... Oh, me too. Instead of... Batista waiting to get jumped by Triple H and Ric Flair. He's like, do on to the man before he do on to you. I loved Batista during this era. I was also 15, but I really thought he looked cool, and I really loved the Batista bomb. So I I now, in fact, don't really like his little goatee thing that he has going on. (laughs) But other than that, I thought he was was awesome. Yes, in retrospect, meh. But at the time, over as Rover. Definitely the most over guy. Um, I think before I rewatched this, I was thinking, why didn't Cena close the show? 
because Batista was more over. Yeah, he absolutely was. He he also uh, going a little throwback to OVW. He was uh, he was Leviathan in OVW, and he was undefeated in the entire reign that he was there, pretty much. The so, Leviathan, the prototype. Yeah, and Deacon Batista. <laughs> and Deacon Batista. Well, no, the prototype was John Cena. I was just thinking OVW gimmicks. Oh, oh, I'm sorry, Deacon Batista. <laughs> Yeah, that wasn't that wasn't my uh the time I liked him. Oh god. Um I tell you my favorite Batista is this one and the one we just saw uh, a couple months ago whatever fucking show that was. I think it was Raw. Oh, oh no, like it was Blue- Smackdown 1000. Smackdown 1000. Right, right. You didn't like Blue Tista? Nope. <laughs> oh, yeah, me neither. <laughs> I I like the memes that came from Blue Tista. <laughs> Sure, sure. Blue Teaster was uh, was a thing. Um, so <laughs> we start our championship match with Motorhead once again playing Triple H to the ring. Very uh, drunkenly, may I add. Oh my god, dude! He didn't remember any of the lyrics of the song this time around. And he started off all okay. He, I think he got like three or four words, and then yeah, he just and then kinda... he just kept being like. Play the game, or the game. Yeah. Play the game. Play. He kept saying "son of a bitch," which I don't think you're supposed. To, it's not in the song. No. And then he was like, "We are Motorhead. Fuck all of you." Yeah. <laughs> and he can do that because he's he was Lemmy. Now Triple H coming up from their set was uh, amazing. It was fantastic. I mean, the only way it would have been better is if Lemmy pulled out his bottle of Jack Daniels and just chugged it. As he's rising. Um, yeah. Oh, terrorizing. See, it's all full circle. <laughs> I see what you did there. The only thing I can't stand, and it absolutely ruined the Triple H entrance for me, is that goddamn stupid fucking handlebar sideburn mustache. <laughs> you didn't like that? No, what the fuck? Stop with that, that shit. Like, that was such a bad look. That was uh, such a dumb look. Oh, yeah, I noticed Ric Flair was there, too, at the last second. <laughs> well, that's the thing, is that I'm like, oh, shit, Triple H is doing this by himself, and then, like, out of the corner comes Flair. It's like, oh, I'm yep. here, too. Yep. It was literally just like, oh, I'm here. Uh, Batista comes out to a huge pop. I, I Huge reaction. Like, fucking definitely 90% of the crowd. I have um, a question. Yes. At this point... When Batista does his little, little, uh, I don't machine even know what gun to call gimmick? It. Yeah, machine gun dance thing. Was this pyro supposed to go off? Not yet. Not yet. Okay. I wasn't I don't sure. Think he, they added pyro until, like, he definitely has it at next year's WrestleMania, but I'm thinking SummerSlam ish. Because he needed it here. Yeah. Yeah, it looks silly. Well, the, that's okay. They'll make up for pyro on the back end with Batista. Yes, they will. <laughs> Um, so I gotta be honest with you, this match for me dragged like shit for the first ten minutes. Like, yeah. it was really slow-paced, and then Triple H got busted open and shit picked up quick. Well, it was basically when Triple H was in control. I think that was the point. I think that was the point of the match. I think when Triple H was in control, it was supposed to be like, oh, okay, Triple H is just controlling the match. Uh, that That sucks. You know what I mean? I think Batista maybe got in two or three offensive moves in the first half of the match. But even the first friggin' uh, minute of the match when they're doing the collar elbow tie-up. 
They're standing there. They're not even moving. They're just like standing there, frozen in time. Yeah, I think it was supposed to be like a like a test of strength. Yeah, the like they're them, equal but... in power. Like I get the gimmick, but visually, in at like, WrestleMania, after everybody's been here for four hours, no. <laughs> yeah, just have them like have them like shaking, maybe like have them like str- looks like they're struggling to push each other, not just standing still. Like yeah. that's that's a bit silly. Exactly. I would rather see them like jockey one way and then jockey the other and then go back and forth. No, they were just standing. <laughs> you know what I had never mm-hmm. noticed. What's that? Uh, Batista's lack of lips. Yeah. He doesn't have any lips. <laughs> that's a thing. Um, <laughs> so, obviously, like I said, when, when Triple H gets busted open, he gets busted the fuck open. Because I'll oh, give yeah. the game credit. He knows how to gig himself. Um, he's bleeding all over the fucking place. And Batista starts rolling on offense until... Until Triple H... Nakamura's him before that was a thing. Yeah, he did it before it was cool. He legit, with the help of Flair distracting the ref, just like jumped into Batista's nutsack with his fist. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he dove head first, pretty much. <laughs> um, but not even that. Not even that could stop the animal. And I would say I did like the spot where Triple H locks the hands for the pedigree, but then Batista does his little, like, power-up dance, and (laughs) you slowly see Triple H's hands start to unlock, and Batista breaks the hold. Yeah. And then he finishes him off with a fucking thunderous Batista bomb, which I thought was cool. Ah, one of my favorite moves when I was younger. I loved the Batista bomb. So your winner um, and brand new world champion, Batista. Yeah. Jeff, yeah. what were your thoughts on this match? I I I remember watching this back in the day and being uh I was so happy he won. Because like I said, I was a huge fan. Um I thought I thought the flare interference was nice. Um, you know, it was it was it was how you should have interference in a match. I agree. Quick sneaking it in, doing some choking. He, you know, he, he choked him with his hand. He choked him with his coat. Are we know. talking about the match or are we talking about your sex life? I mean, I wanted to work it in somehow. But. Quick sneaking in, choking out. Yeah. I yeah. Hate. I hate. Yeah, I just, I got to work it in somewhere. I got to, I got to <laughs> put a little me in this. Um, hi no. uh. Yeah. <laughs> um, no, I mean, the fact that Triple H almost got the pedigree a few times. One time it was reversed with the typical back body drop that everybody does. Yep. And the other time it was reversed by actually breaking his hold, I thought was phenomenally done. Um, you know, Triple H with his uh, his torn, what was it, his torn pec muscle over the top Irish whip thing that he does. Yep, yep. Where, where he tends to, he can tear his pec when he's, you know, 50 years old. Um <laughs> And even this, going back to the whole thing where I said Undertaker, I missed his full move set. I missed yes. Triple H's full move set. I really oh, do. There was a point. As much as there's an argument to be made that he got to all his world championships with this, which at this point is ten. Within a five year period, he's a ten time world champion. That's why. Um, you can argue that that was all politically based because obviously Stade Day and Steph and the whole nine, but. I will say that heel Triple H, 
from 99 to right around now, 2007 even, uh, he's a master in that ring. He's he's really good. He's really good at getting heat. He's really good at dishing out punishment. And like you said, his full arsenal is is much better than what it's been limited to the past couple of years. Yeah, I mean, I just I loved his Arn Anderson spinebuster. I loved it. Always did. Um, I my favorite. I think my favorite spot in the entire match was a spot that wasn't meant to happen. It was kind of a botch, but I think it worked out. Was uh, Triple H reversing an Irish whip into the corner, and Batista's in the corner, and then Batista explodes out of the corner when Triple H is running at him, and absolutely takes his face off with a clothesline. Oh, I, I remember that. Oh uh, my god, they he fucking replayed destroyed that. him. They yeah, because re- he <laughs> he did that the hard way. He knocked Triple H down the hard way. Like he <laughs> he clobbered him. He did it, and as soon as he did it, in my mind, I'm thinking, did he just break his jaw? I think I, he just I broke thought, his fucking jaw. It was so brutal. I, I, it was such a stiff clothesline. It was, uh, it was unbelievable. Um, and then you know, Triple H getting it was just really well done. I mean, Batista getting out of the pedigree the way he did, and then Batista tried his Batista bomb, and then Triple H doing that low blow. It's just all the stuff you should be doing. Yeah, it may it builds the anticipation for the finish. Um, um, I I will say once he broke once Batista broke that second pedigree, he did an air raid crash yep, move. He did. Never seen Batista ever do that move since and yeah, <laughs> before or since. And then my my thing that I was ashamed that I forgot, I forgot a lot of shit. I really did. But Batista's shaking in the ropes. Oh, it got me all pumped up. Yeah, he did the Ultimate Warrior thing. And, um, then, and then the thumbs down. And then and it the was... thumbs down. It was great. So I have a little bit of critiques after the match. Sure. And it's it, it, nothing involving Batista or, or Triple H, but the booking of it. So... Batista goes to celebrate with his new world title on the top rope, right? Kyoto weighs him off and kind of, like, tells him to come down. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And then Batista gets to the center. Triple H stands up and leads against the turnbuckle. They look at each other. And then Triple H leaves. What I, the I, fuck was the point of that? Did they continue their feud? Yes. <clears throat> that that that's the only reason I could see it. That's the only reason. It's like this is unfinished business. They stared each other down a little bit. That's fine, you but Triple H doesn't look uh, imposing at all with blood pouring down his face and half standing. He looks yeah, like but a defeated it, man. Yeah, but he but he gets up. I think that's the point. He, he gets up and and he has the standoff for a second there. You know, because lesser men wouldn't even get up. They would just roll out of the ring and go to the back. You know, fair, but. What about the amount of fireworks they gave Batista afterwards? <laughs> yeah, that was... Uh, they really made up for his lack of fireworks in the beginning, for sure. They were like, let's blow the budget in one night! <laughs> I mean, the crowd went absolutely ballistic for him winning that. As did I. Fair. Now, <coughs> this WrestleMania, to me, it's it's funny, because when you go down the card, uh, only eight matches, none of which were really that bad. I think they all, at the very least, served their purpose. Well, 
Match of the night, obviously. I think it goes without saying. HBK versus Kurt Angle. I agree. Worst match for me, and this is going to surprise you, I thought it was Hemi versus Trish. I put uh, Big Show and Akebono, See, but I, I guess that. But I said I guess that wasn't really a match, so I'll go with Christy Hemi and Trish. That's my thing. Is I couldn't like. It was almost like that stupid pillow fight from a couple of WrestleManias ago. Like, uh-huh. is that really a match? Do you really count that? Like, so that's why I kind of had to go with Trish and Christy Hemi, and I almost didn't even go with that because I was like, well, they only put Christy Hemi in that spot to promote the Playboy shoot, but yep. I'm like, well, fuck it. They counted it, and they put a title involved in it, so I'm going to count it, too. So, worst match of the night. And it was an actual match. True. I mean, I guess it was, you know, Aki Bono and Big Show was a sumo match, but that was a wrestling match. Right. Um, next time on the podcast, we head to the Windy City of Chicago, Illinois. I don't know why I said city weird there. Uh, Saturday. You said it like Eugene. <laughs> for WrestleMania 22. Uh, follow us on Twitter at WrestleMania Sal. Jeff, your Twitter is hurry up and hurry up cruiser. And Jeff, talk a little bit about your show. What do we have coming up next on the hurry up and cruiser weight series? Well, I'm just going to be continuing to cover the weekly show. Um, next week we have, uh, we, the main event is Buddy Murphy versus Noam Dar. And, uh, we also have a Cedric Alexander versus Tony Nese match that's announced, and I'm sure there's a jobber match in there at some point. But um, yeah, I mean that's that's next week's match, and I'm just going to keep covering it weekly. It'll keep coming out Thursday mornings. Now I don't know when this is going to drop. There's a good chance of when this drops that we're going to be an episode ahead on Hurry Up and Cruiserweight. But from what I hear. Um, there's going to be a Cruiserweight title match at TLC. Right, right. That's Buddy Murphy and Cedric Alexander. The rematch. Will you cover that match on your show? Yeah. Yeah, I I will cover that match. Um, As I covered uh, the SummerSlam match with... uh, with Mustafa Ali and Buddy Murphy. So... That was the showdown. Yeah, I'll always cover the uh, the pay per view matches, whether it's pre show or actual show. And uh, I mean, I I am looking. I'm having a good good time with the the cruiserweights minus the minus the promos. Pinatas. Oh, I thought you could say minus the promos. As long as they don't talk, they're fine. <laughs> yeah, the promo the promos too have been have been horrible, especially last week. So. Well, you know what they need to do? Uh, get rid of the white and purple font. Oh. It's cheesy, and. <laughs> Don't make up words, okay? Just don't. Yeah, Cumberbag. Yeah. <laughs> Cumberbag. <laughs> yeah, or or don't have fucking Noam Dar cutting a promo in his car at fucking two in the morning after he came from the bar. Um, yeah. Stay tuned to the Rundown Wrestling Podcast, where you will hear you will hear all about great shows that sometimes return, sometimes they don't, such as Nitromania, NXT Revisited, the Rundown Sit Down. Glow Stick, and of course the aforementioned Hurry Up and Cruise Away. Also, the new show Making the Grade. Ah, yes! Making the Grade. A show where Adam will fastly recap everything that's happened in the week of wrestling in about ten minutes. And grades them. And then grades them. Also, Jeff, I have a bit of a surprise for you. Oh, 
I love surprises. I have received information. And to our fans, you will enjoy this. You will stay, please stay tuned in 2019 for new shows coming to the rundown feed. Ooh. Starting with The Mocking Dead, where Jason makes fun of us for liking supernatural characters in wrestling. <laughs> Miking a Murderer where Troy looks at all the times that Chris Benoit warned us through his wrestling promos about the heinous crimes he would later commit in life. <laughs> Game of Drones, where Jeff reviews segments involving Vanguard 1. Ooh. <laughs> and finally, Better Call Paul, where Adam reviews post-takeover conference calls with Triple H. <laughs> uh, that is a surprise, I gotta say. All shows are subject to change, and all show titles are the exclusive property of the Rundown Wrestling Podcast, whether we actually use them or not. And if you try to steal our shit, Troy will show up at your house and hit you with a fucking shovel. I like it. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you so much, Jeff. Thank you, Sal. I had a great time. It was a blast, whether we did it once, twice, or multiple times for this one episode. Only (laughs) we will know. Yes. And we will see your ass next time. See you guys.